All right, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Thunderous Static Rage in the Whiskey and Woe podcast. Um, those of you who don't know, I am Benjamin Lindsay, and I am the co-host of those three different podcasts, Thunderdome Metal Reviews, Static Rage, Punk, and Post-Punk Metal, or not Metal, Post-Punk Album Reviews, and the Whiskey and Woe Country Album Reviews. With me are my three co-hosts, David Lynch from Whiskey and Woe. Say hi, David. Hello. Buzz Will from Static Rage. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be, across the globe, around the court, around the street. Here we are. <laughs> and Tracy Newport, the mind behind Cloaca Metal Hammer Reviews. What's up, my brother, sisters in metal? Welcome to a wonderful episode, and hopefully it turns out great. Yeah, well, it'll turn out. We'll see if it turns out great or not. Uh, what That's is what brought- I said hopefully for. <laughs> What has brought us all together is an idea that David actually had in for us to get together and just talk about what our 10 favorite albums of all time were, no matter the genre. And everybody seemed down with the sickness, so we all got together and decided to do this. So I just want to, you know, take a few seconds for everybody to kind of talk about who they are and and what music means to them, I guess, or you know, why we're doing this, why we bother to do our individual podcasts. I'll start. Um, man, I've just always loved music. My parents played music. My mom and dad, my dad played guitar. My mom sang. They traveled around and were in a bunch of little local country bands, and they would go to, like, different church singings and shit like that all throughout Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, music has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. I discovered metal music and. 84 85 and by metal i mean something bullshit it was uh fucking bon jovi but it was the most metal thing i'd ever heard and then when i got into middle school i met david he introduced me to real metal and you know we were in a couple of bands together over the years and music has always been my favorite medium i like it more than i like books i like it more than i like movies or tv so I just love talking about albums, and any reason to make a list and argue about it is I'm down for. Down with the sickness, you might say. Ooh, ah, 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 ah. Well, okay, okay, that was a like, a, like, like Ben was saying, when I was growing up, my whole, my family, everybody played an instrument. We'd, we'd have family gatherings, and there'd be 10 people sitting around in the living room with a guitar playing and singing and doing different stuff. So music has always been a part of my life. And once I got into, got a little older, I started playing an instrument myself and, and yeah, I'll just, I'll sit around all day on YouTube listening to bands I've never heard because I, I enjoy finding new stuff rather than listening to the same old thing over and over and over, which is part of the reason that these this top 10 is so significant is because I have listened to these albums over and over and over and over, you know, instead of looking for new stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know music. I, I could listen to music all day and never watch TV and I would be perfectly happy. I guess I'll go next. Uh, for me, music really became part of my life. I guess you could say I grew up in kind of a, a noisy household is uh put it nicely. And it kind of helped me just kind of tune everything out while I was doing my own following, doing my own thing around the house and everything. And it's kind of followed me ever since then. And it wasn't until past couple of years when really 
dug deep into trying to find new artists, new bands, something new to listen to, and it kind of stems from listening to podcasts of uh, can't remember their names, but they're one of them's from Austin, hosts of radio show out there, and Chuck Osh and Godless, and they did their top ten at the time for that year, and I was just like, hmm, I missed some good albums. I don't want to miss out on it anymore, so I want to go looking for them myself. So I started this crazy ass hey, if it's metal and it came out, I'm going to try and listen to it. And I fail fantastically at it. But for me, the criteria for my top 10 has just really been these albums that have stuck with me over time. They could be newer in the sense that once I heard them, I knew they were these amazing pieces of art that I had to listen to over and over again. And it took about a whole week of them being on repeat before it was like before I felt it was safe to move on where I hadn't fully digested what I'd been listening to. So for those that have not heard the podcast that Ben and I are on, um, Buzz, um, I grew up in a very eclectic household. Um, my parents were very strict when I was in my younger years, and as I got older, of course, they relaxed a little bit. I grew up as the number five child and as the youngest and all of my siblings listened to different kinds of music. So from my parents, I got my little folk upbringing from. Um, my brother got me into metal at a young age. Uh, my sister got me more into the, the 90s grunge-esque, etc. Um, and I just kind of grew up with a little bit of everything as I uh, went through my years. So I, I didn't really love music until I got probably around my second year of middle school i guess um before then it was just like oh music's okay whatever i'm doing this other stuff because i have adhd really bad um once i got into music and i'll, I'll, I'll go into this later as well um i got into a lot and so with that in mind my criteria for my list isn't so much my favorite albums it's kind of what got me into that particular genre of music and why i don't get tired of listening to it yeah, and I didn't give my criteria earlier, but and because I'm a nerd and I'm a PhD student, I actually wrote it out. So it's the album cannot have more than one or two songs I don't like. It should have at least one or two, preferably more songs that I think are great. And I mean, that is songs that are I could put on repeat and listen to for an hour. And I mean, maybe not actually an hour, but you, you get the point. Just song, if it came on the radio... I would not turn the channel. It must be an album that stuck with me for some more than a season, an album that no matter how many times I've listened to it when it comes on, I'm still will, willing to listen to it. It has to be an honest-to-God album and not a greatest hits package, because that would be cheating, you know, because that is just killer songs lined up one after the other, and, and I didn't want to do that. I actually wanted stuff that a band or an artist went into a studio and crafted this entire piece instead of cherry-picking their baddest-ass songs to put onto something just to sell. Yeah, um, I, I, I did similar to what you just said, where there's there's definitely no greatest hits. I didn't want a package. I didn't want a live album or anything like that, where it's kind of a kind of a greatest hits album. Um, and, and also, yeah, it couldn't have more than one song on it that I didn't like, for sure. Yeah, I'm not getting that ornate with it, man. I'm just uh, it's <laughs> going to keep it simple with, with uh, everything that either meant something to me or that I never get tired of listening to or is such a big influence on me, even if the album might not be that good. 
I want to, I will, I will throw that out there. Uh, some of the ones I'm going to list tonight are not some of these bands or artists' best albums, but they mean a lot to me. Um, and I, I will go from the grain and say I will have at least one greatest hits album on here, if you will. But we'll get to that when we get to it. Okay. Like, I, I like that your Shukus is one that, especially if you're doing much more eclectic than I have in your musical taste, that you're picking ones that mean specific part to you in that genre. So. Yeah, Tracy, since you're the youngest here, why don't you start it off? And what we'll do is we'll each just, I guess, release one of our albums from the list, however you have it organized, and you can say a few words about it, and, and we might rash you for it just a little bit. Just because that's fun. <laughs> oh, bring the heat. I, I I will enjoy it. Uh, so as Ben has stated earlier, I kind of have a OCD complex about lists and enjoy making them and using them quite extensively. Too much so sometimes. And so I actually numbered mine ten to one. And so I'm gonna give them in my tenth to my first in that order. For me, the tenth most important album to me is Mudvayne LD50. This album, I didn't catch it when it first came out because my parents were uh, super Christian and they did not enjoy me listening to some of the stuff. Like I had the BMG music and I got swimming out of Iowa, Rage Against the Machine, Battle for Los Angeles, and I think this, Mud Van LD50, and like, you don't get to keep any of this. And I was like 12 at the time and cried because I just lost three albums I really wanted to check out. But as I got older, I reacquired the album. And LD50 for me, the more the older I get and the more I listen to it as the older I get, the much more it makes sense, the much more I like it, the much more it connects with me. Because I used to prefer Lost and Found over it, but this sound just kind of has a raw authenticity to it that you doesn't quite don't quite find in Lost and Found. Yeah, I don't really have anything to say about it. I mean, I like Chad Gray as a vocalist and the bass player and, and Mud Bain. I always thought was kind of a badass. So, you know... Uh, Enjoyable band. Yeah. Yeah, Mudvayne for me is a band that I never really listened to a whole lot, Got never got into, but I also don't dislike them. So, <laughs> I think for part of with me is Mudvayne is also they, a 12-foot ninja does it now to a sense is where they have consistent, like, not just time changes, but it's like you're listening to a new song two minutes into it, which is keeps you on your toes and it's a fun experience. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about Mudvayne. Um, I, I never really like sit down and listen to them. A lot of my friends in high school did, and they tried to get me into it, but I just, I never, I never like listened to any of their albums until I got a little bit older. Um, but I do like Chad as a vocalist. Um, kind of got a funny story about that. If we can talk about personal things here, they go outside of music. Yeah, sure. Go ahead, man. One of my girlfriend's mother. Dated the original bass player from Mudvayne. <laughs> really? Yeah, she was his. Um, we may not want to talk about certain lifestyles here, but she was a. Uh, she was she was close to him. Let me put it that way. And so I got to listen to that story when I started dating her. I'm like, oh really? And she, at first, I was like, man, you're 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 bullshitting me. And she went into this long, like, no, this is what happened on this day and blah blah. blah. And I was like, oh well, okay, I guess you did. But that's kind of fucking cool then. <laughs> Well, all right. That's my sense of it. Yeah. Why don't you go next, Buzz? 
Okay, so starting at number 10, all the way at the bottom. Um, so I did grow up listening to country a little bit. Um, I always enjoyed Waylon Jennings. I always enjoyed listening to Willie, um, kind of like the, especially from like the 60s, 70s era. Um, I never really got super into country, though. It was never really my thing until in 1999 when a guy from Nashville came out and uh, started a band he was in called Ass Jack and then decided to start doing his own music. So for those that don't know, I am talking about Hank Williams III. Um, I've enjoyed just about every album he's put out, but my favorite one is going to be Straight to Hell. And the reason I enjoyed that is, first off, let's talk about the opening. If you've never heard this album, it starts off with uh, Satan's Reel, and it kind of goes into Straight to Hell, and it's just it's an amazing track to start the album off with. Um I can I can start listing song by song. I won't do that here because we're checking for time. But uh, everything on here checks off what I think a country song either should be or what I'd like it to be. Um, even the ones that aren't exactly quite vulgar. And I go into this because my love for punk music. And this is kind of bridging that gap of, okay, I can actually listen to this and get a lot of enjoyment out of this because even though it's a different genre that I'm I prefer I can get into it. I can very much dig my teeth into it. I can enjoy it for what it is. So there's nothing on this album. I don't like listening to. I never get tired of listening to this album. Well, this will kind of, this album is on my top 10 list too. So we'll just go ahead and, and, and go with that. Um, yeah, this, I love this album. Um, uh, me and Ben saw him live in Louisville shortly after this album came out when he was playing for 150 people in some little bar, you know, and, and it was just one of the most best shows I've seen. It, it was amazing how good he was. And, uh, the, the one side note I will make about this album is, uh, in, in my opinion, this is his best album, but Joe Buck was the bass player on this album and his solo stuff is amazing. And he also played in the legendary Shack Shakers and the album that he was on with them is the only album I like. So that makes me wonder how much input Joe Buck had on this album when it comes to the writing and stuff. Yeah, you can go, Joe, Joe Buck, yourself. Um, this is on my top ten as well. <laughs> so, well, goddamn, um, I'm just to begin with. Yeah, no, dude. I like David said. I love this album and that part you're talking about, how it starts off with Satan is real, the Lubin Brothers you know, sample that leads into his stuff. And I, I agree with David that this is Hank three's best album. I phenomenal live. It hits all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's made for, for guys like I'll say us since three of us had it on the list. Um, and, and Tracy kind of fits into this too, but dudes who enjoy country music and heavy metal and punk and all that stuff. And like drinking whiskey and just, you know, all that shit. It, this is an album for for people like that. And I love the Hellbilly stuff. Nothing bad to say. Yeah, and uh, one of the great things about Hank 3 Live is how there'll be a there'll be a 75-year-old woman with a glass of whiskey in the crowd, and there's also an 18-year-old punk out there moshing, you know? It's just it's just great how, how he 
brings brings these age groups and genres together. Well, a so, cool thing I thought about the concert too was the fact that he did some of this older, more straight up country stuff, and he basically did a set of that, and then it's like, okay, well, you know. That's my country set. I'm going to move into some harder stuff. So if you're not into that, thanks for coming out and everything. And then he started <laughs> playing the harder tracks off this album and some of the ass jack stuff. And, you know, get you a guy who can do both. You know, it, it was just super cool. Yeah, he always does. He'll, he'll always do his country stuff. And then he does the hillbilly stuff that's a mix of country and metal. And then he goes into the ass jack stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so, I'm very glad you guys brought that up. So, it, Every year, well, until a few years ago, he always did a Halloween show in Nashville. And the last time I went was in 2016. And it was cool because it was him and the damn band. And they all fucking dressed up. And like you guys said, the first the first hour, it was all country shit. And the reason I say hour is he played for four hours straight, dude. He didn't yeah. – he stopped, I think, like a few times just to get something to drink and like go to the bathroom. But he came back. So this whole four hours, he's playing. The first hour was his – his straight up country stuff. And I think the last song he did was uh, one of his grandfather's songs. And then, like you said, he said, all right, I'm, I'm done with country stuff. So if that's what I came for, fuck off. Everyone else can hang out and we'll have a good time. And then they went into more of the hellbilly, almost punk, punk review. And then he went into like all this metal shit from like, like I said, ass Jack and even some shit that he'd wrote that night. So I, that was like one of my favorite concerts ever. So I just, I had so much respect for that guy after that. Oh, yeah, and he's also just super cool, because when me and David saw him, like David said, it was for 150 people, and he stood out in the crowd afterward and signed anything anybody wanted to do and talked to whoever for as long as it took. I mean, yeah, he, I mean, he put his guitar down and just climbed off the stage into the crowd and just started talking to everybody. And, and every time I've seen, I've probably seen him five times now, but every time. He hangs out and talks to everybody that wants to talk to him after the show. He'll he'll hang out for as long as as long as it takes to talk to everybody. Hmm. So um, I'm taking notes. I have never heard that album. Oh, you should listen so, to it. I yeah, you should listen to it. I've got it especially down. since you wanted to do that uh that one album where it's he's on Hank Three is on that album that Devil Driver did of all the fucking country covers oh, and yeah. done metal. So, I mean, and they were inspired by him to do that, so you really ought to listen to Straight to Hell. Yeah, he also okay. played bass in Super Joint Ritual. He had an arse Oh, I'm trying to remember that album by Devil Driver. I think it's Outlaw Till the End. Yeah, something, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's the one that had the Garth Brooks cover on it. Oh, it's all country covers. That's all that is. Well, anyway... <laughs> That Sorry that, for derailing all of this. Guys, no, dude, but, no, it's cool. It, it was just <laughs> that works out. Happen. I mean, yeah, you know, it just that's kind uh, of the point of a podcast. <laughs> exactly. So I guess we'll go back to you, Tracy, because me and David just kind of talked about one that was on our list. <laughs> so, uh, so this album, I will be honestly surprised if it shows up on any of your list. But this is my ninth favorite album of all time. Is Brendan Small's Galacticon. And it is... What's the name of that again? Brendan Small's Galacticon. It is just Galacticon. is G-A-L-A-K-T-I-K-O-N. It's the guys who did Adult Swim. They had got everybody together to do the recording for, I think it's the second or the third album they did for Metal Metalocalypse. 
well, Adult Swim decided to be dicks about the copyright. He's like, I've already paid for the studio time. I've already paid for the artist to be here. So I'm just going to write a fucking album and release it on my own. And I found it a couple years after it was released. Just kind of Spotify's like, hey, you've listened to Metal Aquats lately. Have you checked this out? And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, shit. And the entire first time I heard it, I was like, holy fuck, because it's nothing like Death Clock is. And I listened to it for probably 20 times that week easily. And I was like, holy fuck. And they released an album. He released a second album under that label, under that band name, about two years ago. And I was so excited for it because I was hoping it was going to live up to the same sound and style that this one was. And it just didn't quite hold up as well. Hmm. Nope, never heard it. But that is my uh, number nine pick on there. But he keeps a lot of the comedy in his writing in it as well. So once you get the understanding of the story, it's pretty fucking hilarious. Cool. And he ran it's like a whole concept album that's been turned into a comic. <laughs> yeah, I can say I've never heard this one either. I'll, uh, I wrote it down. I'll check it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping a track of everybody's list just because I handle that. Uh, it is on our list by the end of the year, Ben, so you'll get is to it? it eventually. I mean, yes. is it on our list of stuff we're actually doing? Is it on our master list that has like 400 albums on it? No, I think it's on our stuff we're actually doing. Okay. Uh, yeah, we are recording it on June 7th. Oh, sweet. <laughs> All right, Buzz, you're up again. Man, is that time already? Okay. So, my number nine pick, <clears throat> and I apologize that this is on anyone else's list, um, so we'll just go ahead and throw that, so we hope, hopefully it doesn't get derailed again. Um, I picked Danzig number two, and the reason I like Danzig number two so much is I have been a Danzig fan since he was in the Misfits. Um, we'll talk more on that a little bit later as we get down our list. However, um, I enjoyed Danzig one. And I enjoyed Danzig 3. Danzig 4, I feel, is like his last album by himself before he kind of started to lose his voice. But Danzig 2, to me, is kind of, as an album, his best album. And I'm prefacing things all by saying this, simply put, because this is the one that if I had to pick one, I never get tired of listening to. Um, I know that uh, this has been covered uh, by you, you and Tracy, so I won't go too much into this. But damn near every song on here, I'm, I either really enjoy or I can get in the mood for. Um, and it's some, the reason I have it listed so low instead of higher is this came a little bit later for me in life rather than earlier in life. And I didn't appreciate his solo stuff until I got a little bit older. Um, but just as a singer, as someone that, like, knowing his reputation, knowing what he did with The Misfits and in Salon, and then hearing him do Danzig 2, which is damn near a blues album, you could almost argue, um, really kind of spoke to my inner musician of, hey, I can do all kinds of different types of music, but I can still do what I enjoy the most and make it sound not quite what anyone's expecting. Um, and that unexpectedness is really what I appreciate the most. So there we go. This album isn't on my list, but I would agree with you that it's probably the best Danzig album um i really do like this album a whole lot it would either be this or four because i liked four quite a bit too and 
you really do kind of see that transition from like Danzig One, which is almost just a heavy blues album, to this one having a little bit more metal in it. Um, me and Tracy covered it on a pod, so I don't really feel the need to t- talk any more about it. But I I do like this, but it's not on my list. Yeah, I always preferred uh, Danzig's previous stuff to his solo stuff, for sure. Uh, one of the bands I was in used to cover Twist of Fate, so. <laughs> I I I enjoy Danzig one better, personally. But I this is the only Danzig album I've ever heard, so I enjoyed it for what it was. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I gave it on the grade. I think I gave it a B, B plus. Uh, yeah, I think that sounds right. I don't remember exactly. I'm pulling it up. I gave it only... a B minus. Ooh. We've only graded like forty something albums. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> It happens. Well, another thing to me too is I, when I was younger, um, and I've been I've talked to you about this before. Um, I was in a Misfits cover band for a while, and listening to Glenn's later stuff really helped out with that, being able to kind of do the screeching slash thing at the same time. Um, but no, it was it was a toss up for me, man. I was like, do I like one or two better? I'm like, oh, one's cool, but it has Mother on it, and Mother's annoying as shit because that's like his worst song and it's overplayed. I like two I, the best. I wouldn't say that it's his worst song. I mean, I like Glenn, but he's got some other <laughs> songs that I think are much worse than Mother. Yeah, personal opinion. A... <laughs> but no, I just really love how this album opens up. A long way back from hell. That's a fucking badass song, and it's a really cool intro. So, do you want to go, David, or do you want me to? Uh, I'll go ahead and go. I guess. Um, next album on my list is. Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. This album, I, I, I was listening to it when it first came out. And like most everybody else, it was uh, Slash and Axel that were the focal point for me listening to it. And it was probably 10 years down the road after I started playing music and writing music that I really became a fan of Steven Adler and Duff McKagan. They absolutely kill it on this album. The drumming and the bass playing is amazing. And honestly, the musicianship as a whole, but I, I just I just love this album so much. There's not a bad track on it, in my opinion. And you can make the argument that this album, more than Nirvana, is what killed glam metal because it's just such dirty rock and roll, you know, and it was so different than the other stuff that was coming out at the time. But hey, whatever. It's, yeah, the, I, I mean, the record sales show that how universally loved this album is. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is still, it might not be anymore, but for the longest time, it was the the highest-selling debut album of all time. Yeah, I think it still is. It didn't make my list. It just missed out. Um, I can't argue with anything David said. I would also, though, say Izzy deserves some uh, a shout-out to. The thing about this is, Guns N' Roses felt dangerous in a way that was real. Whereas, and the, the people I always compare them to is Motley Crue. And whereas Motley Crue, it just felt, even the, even the, the fact that Vince Neil actually did kill somebody but <laughs> in that car wreck <laughs> when he was drunk driving, um, this just felt really dangerous. This was what rock and roll is supposed to be in my opinion. So I, I have to agree with that. And, you know, there hadn't been an album like that in a long time when this came out. 
I've never been really able to get into Guns N' Roses, and anytime I've tried to sit down and listen to Appetite to Destruction, it's always been, I'd get through the singles and just be like, uh, next. Like, I've always been a proponent that Guns N' Roses, all you need is the greatest hit CD, and you can do away with the rest. And I just never have found really a lot of what they do to my liking. I mean, I would counter that by saying that that the Appetite for Destruction is a greatest hit CD because I think everything on there charted just about. Yeah, I would say that's that's, that's, that's pretty much if you ask opinion, anyone, this that, is the greatest. Hit. <laughs> you ask anyone that knows anything, that doesn't know anything about Guns N' Roses except for what gets played on the radio, they all fucking come off this album. You got November Rain and oh, there's one other. Okay, yeah, there's two cry. songs that November Rain and Don't Cry. You know, I'm uh, knocking on Heaven's Easter door. Illusion. Not gonna have a door, which I can't listen to that song anymore. So, I mean, Buzz did say, except for what's played on the radio. Yeah. So, <laughs> what I mean, really, is did they really play anything else besides the greatest hits for Guns N' Roses on the radio? Let's see. That's not on this album. You already mentioned November Rain. You mentioned Don't Cry. Um, was it? I, I used to love her, but now I had to kill her. That gets played every now and then on the classic rock station here. Uh, and then their 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 cover of that Beatles song uh, uh, for that 007 movie. Um, I live and let die. Yeah. yeah, I live and let die. That's yeah. Patience. Uh, that's, Patience that's, is the other one. Um, um, what was that other song off you usually? Civil War. Yeah, Civil War. Yeah, that, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Another one that doesn't get radio play, and I wish it would, is their their cover of the Misfits attitude. That's because that blew my mind the first time I heard it. I'm like, I didn't fucking know this band. Was Actually, the spaghetti <laughs> incident was pretty excellent too. I, That's I, what I was gonna say. That yeah, spaghetti incident was probably really underrated. That had some great covers on it. It's me. Um, so I had arranged my list in chronological order. So I'm just gonna do that. So it's in the way the albums came out um, for those keeping score at home, Hank three came out in 06. So it was number nine on my list. Um, the, the first one for me, because it's the earliest is Eagles hotel, California. I mean, I love every song on that album. That title track is phenomenal. In my opinion, uh, it can be done in so many different styles. You can rock it up. You can strip it down and do it acoustic. You can do it flamenco style. There's just so many different ways that that song can be interpreted. I appreciate the shit out of that, even though I think that the album version with the the badass twin solo at the end by Felder and Joe Walsh is great. Don Henley's got a phenomenal voice. He's one of my favorite voices in all of music. And to me, this album just sounds like what it doesn't sound it's not eh, for one thing and it doesn't sound like as dirty and dangerous as Guns N' Roses did but if you were like taking different sounds from different parts of the country you've got Glenn Frey from Detroit with the Motown sound you've got Don Henley a Texas boy who grew up doing gospel you've got Joe Walsh just crazy out there Felder who's a pretty damn good guitar player and then Timothy B. Schmidt who has a soaring voice and the way these guys harmonize, man, they have the best harmonies for any band that's not related to them or to each other of anybody that I've ever heard. And so I just really like this album. So I've actually 
grew up on the Eagles when I was younger. That was my modern band with you two. And I can't tell you how many times I heard, I know for sure the When Hell Freezes Over live soundtrack. I heard that several times and she had this in her rotation as well. So I grew up on the Eagles and I kind of, their guitar work kind of gave me appreciation for what guitar sound like and kind of really drew me into the guitar stuff. I'm like, I always loved Life in the Fast Lane and the songs off that. I'm looking at the track list with us. Yeah, Life course, in the Fast Lane's off this album. Yeah, Life in the Fast That's Life in the Fast Lane and Hotel California, whoever, who doesn't love that song? So, yeah, so I've had, I actually have some experience with this one. And I would say that I think the Eagles probably nowadays don't get as much credit as they should for for their role in music today. Uh, yeah, the Eagles probably were hugely influential on a whole bunch of bands, I would say. Um, I, I don't think I've ever listened to this album as a whole, but I, I'm definitely a big fan of the Eagles and most of the songs off this album. Um, yeah, they're just... The, the musicianship with with them and the with the dual guitar stuff that they do and the harmonizing vocals, yeah, you can't say anything bad about the Eagles. <laughs> I can't say anything bad, but I don't know that I can say anything good either. That's going to disappoint a lot of people for me saying that. Um, and I don't, I don't, I, I always have to preface this because I try to give people the abstract truth of what I'm saying before I get into it, just because I don't personally particularly like a certain band doesn't mean they're garbage and i've said that before on 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 our podcast um but i grew up with this my dad listened to this a lot um kind of like with tracy my parents had when hell freezes over because that was their get back together album and i spent my youth listening to that i remember going to north carolina to my grandmother's house for an eight-hour trip listening to this album back to back so i think that's where part of my annoyance comes in where i say that yes i appreciate them as a good band um as a personal, like, would I go out and listen to them? Probably not. But I wouldn't tell someone else not to listen to it either. So by hour eight, you're like, fuck this album. I'm going to burn it when we stop. Yeah, yeah. This definitely fueled my feelings of, okay, I need to start listening to better music. And as I get down on the list, I'll probably get that a little bit later with some albums. But that that's kind of where my annoyance came from. Um I mean, I think that that's a fair critique that you could definitely say that Hotel California is an overplayed song. Um, I don't personally feel that way because I, I like the, the song that much, but I bet that song is played like five times a day on classic rock radio throughout the country. So I can, I can, I get it. And, and that, that's what I was trying to say. Like, I can't, I don't dislike it. And I will admit, I will sing along with it comes on the radio. A lot of that is because it's so damn catchy, and I heard it for so long growing up. Um, and again, yeah, there there are very accomplished musicians. They are very good at harmonizing. I I give credit where it's due. I just to me, it's being over having to hear it all the time. I think just kind of killed my appreciation for what I might actually agree with the rest of you on this as. Yeah, I've I've said that about multiple songs here lately. Hey, I like that song till I heard it a million times. You know, that because yeah. the pop radio stations around here they they just run shit in the ground so bad that you'll just hate a good song after a while. So I get that, and you know, like what you were saying, me and Ben talked about that on our podcast 
is, you know, just because you don't like a band, you can still appreciate how good they are. You know, it's, I'm that way with Rush. I, I can't stand Rush, but they are very good musicians and they are a really good band. And I can understand why people like them, even yeah. though I can't stand them. Me and Tracy <laughs> talked about that with Dream Theater because I was like, Dream Theater is the heavy metal Rush, <laughs> except they have a good singer. <laughs> but I still don't really like them. All right, man. Yeah, Dream Back Theater you. would be another one for me. I can't stand <laughs> them, but they, they, hey, they can play their asses off. Yeah, dude, that's so good. I, I think the analogy I've heard used before is they sound like a band in a Battle of the Bands competition. They're amazing with dude, just nothing sticks. That, yeah, that, that, that sums it up. That sums up my feelings. Oh, <laughs> uh, my eighth album is Opeth Damnation. And for a lot of Opeth fans, this album gets a little bit of a flack because they took a very drastic step from what they had been doing. But I, the focus aspects to this album and the softer parts drew me into it. And I returned to this album a lot during stressful times, like when I found out my mother had cancer, when she had that, when my dad had a stroke. Like these are, this is an album that I go to in like very like emotionally distraught times, and so it's just stuck with me since I first heard it in the late 2000s. I don't, I've heard Opeth. I don't know that I've heard this one. I probably heard the stuff that came out before this, so I, I can't really comment on this. I, I do think you're right, though because I know that there was a big schism within the fan base about a change in sound around this album. But since I haven't heard it, I really can't comment. My only yeah, exposure to I, Opeth. I, I haven't heard this either. Um, every time I hear Opeth, I, uh, the name, I always think of Otep. <laughs> so the only exposure I ever had to this band um, is when they played with Ghost in Nashville four years ago. Um I had heard of them, but I hadn't heard them. So I always like when I get to experience a band that I've never heard on any kind of radio or album live. And I thought they were okay. I, I did. I mean, I, I'm one of these people that, hey, if they're playing, I'll go listen to them. And I'm not going to rush out and buy any of their albums, but I'll definitely go to a live show because it was pretty badass. Um, so that's that's about the most I could speak to this. Um, that's my two cents. Okay. I feel like they probably didn't play anything off this album live. Don't feel like they would just for the flag they got from their fan base. No, it was a very, they, it was strange because I was expecting to be more metal than it was. And kind of in the same vein that people assume ghost is going to be this really hardcore metal band. And they're not, it was strange seeing them do like more jazzy stuff on stage and more like almost acid rock. I was not expecting that. Yeah, I would actually say that touring with Ghost, they probably did play stuff off this album. Well, that's a lot of their more acid rock stuff came from a Sorceress album. And, uh, oh, where's it at? The album before that, Pale Communion. They probably played Close to Perdition and stuff like that and some of their older stuff. They might have played one or two. I just, I'd have to see the set list. But I love this album for what it's worth. Cool, yeah. I'll have to give it a listen. So number eight um, is a band I really, really enjoy listening to. Um, I got into this band at a younger age, of all things, um, because I saw that movie The Hunger when it came out when I was when I was a much younger child. And the band that plays at the very beginning, Bauhaus, you know, they, they were playing Bela Lugosi's Dead. And, of course, that's always touted as, like, the 
quotes unquote goth you know anthem that everyone fucking knows uh, i do like that song but they're to me their album mask really kind of hit home for me um a lot of the stuff that i enjoyed listening to came off that album they go back and forth between being almost almost atmospheric in their music to being almost more death rock in a way which i again appreciate when out when bands can do kind of not so much multiple genres but they can touch on different genres while staying within their own realm and that's something that Bauhaus has always done and a lot of that i credit to, to uh, daniel ash because he is a very good guitar player um so just listening to this whole album over and over I, I don't really get tired of listening to it and um the title track mask starts off very slow and then just kind of almost an, is it an acid rock feel and then it just kind of gradually builds up and gets a little bit faster towards the end but then they'll go into like hollow hills on this album which being being into the uh legends that i am um when pretty much you know talks about a fairy hold of all things so like the real dark fairy is not the not the uh i um, tinkerbell fairy um but they touch on a lot of stuff in this album and i just really cannot get tired of listening to it so it's always kind of stuck with me um i think the first time i heard this i was in eighth grade it was right around when i first got into punk as well so this is like one of the first edgy bands if you will that really got me into this kind of music my only exposure to Bauhaus, aside from Bela Lugosi's Dead, is me and David used to have a roommate who had this, it was the Black Box, which was a goth compilation box set, and there were some tracks on there, but I, I know I've never heard this entire album, and I don't know that I've heard any of the tracks off of it. Yeah, like what Ben was saying there, we had a roommate that was in into Bauhaus, and so I tried to give him a shot, and I just, I never could get into it personally. I do not have any experience with the house. I don't even know if I even heard that track you're talking about on the uh, opening for the movie. Oh, wow, really? Okay, so the opening of The Hunger, they're playing Bill Lugosi's Dead, and that's, like I said, it's kind of touted as the unofficial, like, goth anthem, because you ask any kid that grew up, like, in the 80s or 90s that was in this kind of music, they all knew that song. Yeah, and I mean, that's a super famous song. I, I I almost venture to say overplayed. Um, the only reason I don't go that far is because unless you're into this kind of music, you really don't hear it. Um, they never got a whole lot of radio play outside of uh, the UK. Um, but what's interesting about this band, and I don't want to deviate too much, so I won't go too far into this. Um, Peter Murphy is not what you would consider like this kind of singer. He had a very, when he was on stage, he always wore like a white top and slacks and a blazer. And the bass player always wore a suit and tie. Okay. Daniel Ash, the guitar player, looked like he just came out of a fucking Misfits concert. So they're all clashing on stage with different looks. And that kind of started the early goth phase, like in, in the 80s, um, once post-punk had moved from post-punk into more what we consider goth now. Um, even though they didn't consider themselves a goth band, a lot of that visual imagery kind of struck out. And especially with their name, uh, Bauhaus being, of course, a, a Germanist art expression, um, the uh, it, it really does fit very well. Um, so it's one of these things. Uh, I think David said he wasn't really into them that much. You have to kind of be in the mood for this band. You have to know what, what to go into. It's kind of like listening to Joy Division. You have to. You can't listen to it. You have to experience it. And either you're not gonna you're not gonna like the experience, or you're gonna be like, ah, oh, that was kind of cool. Um, and it just kind of goes off from there. I haven't really 
found anyone that's in the middle when it comes to this band. It's funny that you say that they didn't consider themselves a goth because every goth I know has a Ball House t-shirt and probably only knows Bella Lugosi's dead. <laughs> yeah, it's I was like uh, every punk having a Black Flag t-shirt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, Rollins Band t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Without knowing who Henry Rollins is, that's that was always my favorite in high school. Yeah. Because every kid knew the song "Liar," but they didn't know who Black Flag was. Yeah, I think today the the similar comp is all the people walking around with Nirvana t-shirts. But anyway, um, I'll go next this time and let David go take the last spot on this round. Um, again, like I said, I I arranged mine in chronological order. So the next one on my list is a little thing from 1981, Black Flags Damaged. Speaking of Henry Rollins, I've said on, well, I haven't said it on the Whiskey and Will podcast, but I like my music fast and aggressive. And this is a pretty goddamn fast and aggressive album. Um, and honestly, though, I don't know that it's their most aggressive album because I think some of the stuff earlier before Henry joined the band when it was just Greg Ginn was a lot more aggressive than this. But I just love Henry's sense of humor on stuff like um, TV Party and then just the way that he – and we talked about it when we did Joy Division Buzz about you know channeling that that inner depression or that inner angst, and he does that so well on Damaged 1 and 2. I just love this album. I mean, I have a black flag tattoo because of this album, you know, and I like Henry Rollins solo stuff. I like some of the other stuff with black flag, but just this overlap with Henry as the, the main guy on this one. I just really, yeah, it's, it's my favorite punk album. So it's first off, album. How uh, I uh, apparently knocked Hank Williams off uh, both of your lists. You just knocked the black flag off mine because I was going to list that as well. Um, I liked Slip It In a lot, even though Henry wasn't with the band at that time. But I really feel like Damage was the better album. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you know I'll go over this on our podcast, so I won't go too far into it. Um, but do you remember one of our podcasts? I mentioned that in Changeling the, uh, Changeling the Dreaming, there's a section that has that makes a black flag reference. I don't know if you yeah. remember that. It's uh, we're gonna geek out for a minute, kids. So if you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you. It's the section where comes about the Wilders because the Wilders are uh, your changelings are growing up and seeing the world's not all you know bright and colorful. It's actually kind of shitty, and it's a it's it's a changeling in a punk concert, and he's talking about listening to the lyrics of a Black Flag, and he's talking about yeah, the album where the guy's punching in the mirror, he's all pissed off. I feel like that right now, and. When I was younger and read that, I'm like, why is this in a fucking changeling book? This is not what I expected. So um, that that kind of is where that reach gets into even uh, even that game that's not does not have that goth punk feel. Yeah, when it when it comes to Black Flag, I honestly think I prefer these stuff with Des Kadena as a yeah. as a singer over over the Rollins stuff. Even though I'm a huge Henry Rollins fan, I I love, you know, I love his lyrics. I, I love his singing style too, you know, and just him as a, I don't know, a intellectual. Right. <laughs> if that's if that would be the right word. I I enjoy reading his stuff, listening to him doing spoken word. But yeah, I I think I prefer Black Flag as a band before him. 
that death stuff is pretty good, but I mean, there's just something uh, uh, about the the this album anyway that I just and maybe it's just because in some ways it's much more accessible than the Descadena stuff, you know, because it's more in some ways it, the stuff on this album is structured more as a song, whereas some of the other albums it's more noise. I mean, it's almost just as in your face as we can fucking be. And Greg was a maniac, so and he would just seem to be just a little bit, I don't want to say subdued because it's not, but more constrained on this album. Um, I will say a lot of the stuff on this album was written before Rollins yeah. joined the band. There's a, because that versions of these songs exist with the previous two singers. Yeah, but but these are more cleaned up versions, I guess. Like like they actually spent a little money in the studio instead of recording them in a bathroom. <laughs> right. Bathroom recordings are always fun. I'm so glad you brought that up. It should be to no surprise. I have uh, not heard this album either. So I'm adding them to this list that is now at four of bands I needed to listen to. But to be fair, this also came out before you were born. So, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't born yet either. So, yeah, that's also true. <laughs> All right. So the next album on my list would be Slayer: Seasons in the Abyss. I this was the first Slayer album I heard, actually, and uh, the first time I heard it was on a uh, school field trip, and. One of my friends was like, gave me the cassette to listen to in my Walkman while we were riding the bus, and it just, I don't, it kind of blew my mind. I hadn't heard anything like this at that point, and I, and it's it's been a favorite ever since. And uh, actually, one of the bands I was in used to do a cover of the song "Seasons in the Abyss," and it was the first guitar solo I ever learned to play. And uh, I remember when I learned it, I was like, hey, maybe I'm a better guitar player than I think I am. So then I went and tried to learn Walk by Pantera. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I found out I'm not that good. Because <laughs> I remember that was on a whole other level compared to what, what, what Kerry King and Jeff Hanneman were doing, even though they were great, you know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that, I, I love every song on this album. Just fantastic. So this was one of mine as well. Um, just, it was also the first Slayer album I, I heard, and then I kind of like hopscotched back to Rain and Blood and worked my way up, and I'm maybe even fucking Haunting the Chapel, I don't know, I don't really remember what the second one was, but, dude, Seasons in the Abyss is such a fucking killer song, and then you also have War Ensemble and Skeletons of Society, and like David said, every track on here is great, and, man... This is, I don't dislike any Slayer album, but this is my favorite by far. Did this one have Angel of Death on it? I can't remember. Running Blood had Angel of Death on it. Okay. Um, I kind of got late into the Slayer game, and uh, I'm playing catch-up as is. So twice, and everything I've seen of them live has been fantastic. And for the songs I've heard off seasons of this, I haven't ever sat down and listened to it from start to finish, which it's it's on the pile. It's 
they're phenomenal, and I love the fact that like Deadskin Mass, they even decided to go, hey, we're gonna go a little bit softer to give it this contrast and a little bit more melodic, and just that intro into Deadskin Mass is such uh, chill-inducing at times, knowing what this band does and how they play normally. Like it's gonna like, uh, something's going on here. I seem to remember there was a guy that had a YouTube video a few years ago where he did this. He did Seasons in the Abyss on acoustic. And I bring that up because if you've never seen it, you should look it up. He actually does a really good job of it. And it it's it doesn't sound any less metal being on acoustic guitar. That's what makes it badass. Is it is it the guy that did like the guitar, the shovel guitar and like the ukulele Angel of Death and stuff like that? No, this um this so this dude's playing on like a classic guitar and a it's it's like the University of Sydney, Australia, and he's like, when he's singing it, he's being a goofball while he's doing it, and he's like smirking the entire time, because he's not doing like a typical metal like lyric thing. He sounds like, excuse the expression, expression, but he sounds like a very much like a like a stereotypical white nerd trying to sing. So it just made it even more funny, and you knew he was doing it on purpose. But like just hearing it, it's like, oh, this is pretty damn amazing. Let me see if I can find it. I I think I've seen that video. But yeah, um, I've I've played the song on an acoustic myself, and yeah, it it it's still a great sounding song when it's played yeah. on an acoustic. Yeah, I don't care what instrument you play this on; it would sound good because it's just that well written of a song. Yeah, if you look up um, AIM TV Slayer Seasons of the Abyss uh, guitar percussion cover, this this dude's playing it. Well, it's not really a classic guitar; but he's playing it on acoustic, and it's just it's still fucking amazing. Um, he covers a bunch of Tool stuff too, so there's that. Sweet, we'll have to definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, back to you, Tracy. All right. So um, I'm going to probably take a gander and say this is the newest album on any of our list. And it came out in 2018, and it's Rivers of Nihil, where owls know my name. This album, from the moment the single started coming out, I was like, okay, there's, like, off the three singles that came out, and when I heard them, like, this album's going to be special. There's going to be something special about it. And from the first moment I hit play to the end, I was like, holy shit. And while originally nothing, like, song-wise stuck out to me, this album is so well done from start to finish, and it just so seamless that it carried with me. And when I originally gave my rankings in 2018, I graded it second, and ever since, it's like, fuck, it wasn't second. It was actually first. That first album I put wasn't actually that great as what I thought it was. And this one has aged the two years that it's been since I listened to it originally. And it's just it's held up and it's just gotten more and more closer into, like, being such a, me considering it just a great album that it is. Uh, this is another one. I've never heard of this band, so I'm going to have to check this out. I've heard of the band, but every time I hear it, I think of Nile. So, because it's a river. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a, a bargain bin rivers uh Von Nile band. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like um, let's just add an H and we'll add the river part to it and and we'll be there. Um, I know that we've got this coming up on our podcast, so I'm looking forward to getting yeah. into it. But I I haven't heard. I it. am too. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking. I'm not so looking forward to it when you just shit all over it because that's tend to how things go. And I'm like, I, mean, I really like this album. You should like it. Is it progressive? Because if it's progressive, I probably won't like it that much. There is a saxophone on a couple tracks on this, but that's all it gets. I like saxophones, but that doesn't mean that make it automatically good. 
it's it's not quite Dream Theater, but it does have a few slight progressive elements. Well, thank God for that. It may not be as good, but the question <laughs> is, do you still believe? Yeah, it's progressive question. death metal in a best case. At best, and it's putting if it it's nicely. progressive death metal, I might like it, because I actually do like a lot of progressive death metal, because it actually pulls back some of that really extreme death tendencies and makes them palatable. Yeah, I'll agree. kind of gets some out of that little square peg they like to be in. Okay, Buzz, it is your turn, sir. Oh, oh, oh I'm grab my list. All right, number seven. I put down Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast. And this isn't because I think this is their best album. Um, the one that had uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner on it is really stuck out to me as probably their best. But the reason I'm this meant more to me uh, so I talked about my brother being in the metal when I was younger. Um, he played bass and was in a lot of local bands. And he really got me into this band. And I still have this album on vinyl. Um, it's one of the ones I can never stop listening to because even though while not all the songs on here are great, um, it's got Hallowed Be the Name. That's probably second or third favorite uh, song by them that I really get into um, the singing style is kind of always what drew me in especially with Bruce Dickinson's voice um, I know a lot of people like Killers because it was the, the previous uh, vocalist was pretty good as well too but this is this is kind of what got me into metal in the first place out of all the bands I listen to out of all the ones I can talk about this is probably like my go to of like hey where'd you hear about metal the first time let me introduce you to Iron Maiden and Throw this album at him and say, "Here, listen to that." That's that's pretty much what my introduction to metal was. So I'm smiling, and you won't be able to see this because this is going to be an audio-only release. Because I actually like Iron Maiden, and I love "Hallowed Be Thy Name." It's one of my favorite tracks of theirs, for like right behind the Trooper, and they probably could flip flop every day. But me and David have had so many arguments about Iron Maiden. <laughs> So that's why I'm smiling. I love Bruce Dickinson's voice. He's one of my favorite vocalists, you know, along with Don Henley. But I'll let David speak for himself. Uh, yeah, like like what you're saying. This is this is one of those bands. I just I, I can't stand them personally, but I I appreciate them as a band, you know, because they were good and they influenced a ton of people. But I just I can't stand Bruce Dickinson. I hate him for some reason, and. Uh, I much prefer the Cradle of Filth version of Hallow Be My Name. I think that that's amazing. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a pretty badass. Oh, it's it's an amazing cover, but I think Hallow Be My Name might be one of the greatest metal songs of all time, in a sense. In every band, it's like, let's try our chance at it. And Licks yeah, the Chops, I mean, like Machine Head did it, and it's not quite so great. It's good, but it's not phenomenal. Well, it's not but, as good as Iron Maiden or Cradle of Filth, but it's not bad. I know when we were talking about Master of Puppets and you're saying their A-side is probably one of the best A-sides ever for Master of Puppets, and I countered to a degree with saying that I think the best side that could counter that one might be the Number of the Beast with Number of the Beast, Run to Hills, Gangland, and How Would Be That Name on their B-side. And I think this is a phenomenal album and worthy of where you got it at, Buzz. Well, I mean, this is kind of like the conversation with Guns N' Roses earlier, most of the stuff that gets played on the radio that is Iron Maiden comes off this album. So that's 
I was almost loath to pick this one, but I was like, I, if I'm going to be honest, this is this is what got me in the middle to begin with. This has led me down the rabbit's hole to like the more edgy music, man. So uh, that and my fucking brother could play, taught me to play uh, Run to the Hills on both both bass and guitars. This is like one of the first songs I learned to play. So it just it meant a lot to me growing up. Yeah, and I think you know. We were just talking about Slayer and their twin guitar attack. Iron Maiden's twin guitar attack is pretty fucking badass, too. And how they do their galloping rhythm section together, it's just phenomenal. And you really get that sense of none of the heels. is a perfect example for how they layer them together. Well, Steve Harris doesn't think he's a bassist. He thinks he's a guitar player. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then they decide to add another guitar player at the in the mid-90s for three. Or was it late 2000 when they, all three of them were in the band? Yeah, it was, uh, it was or I think, late 90s. It would have been late '90s because it was on the. It was after Bruce rejoined the band because he brought that guitarist with him. I, I guess they decided they like they wanted a, a Slipknot feel, so they just had more people join the band all of a sudden. Let's split the check know, more. Yeah, something like that. Okay, David, do you want to go or want me to again? Um, I can go. Um, I'm gonna skip down on my list a little here and just change genres. Because we've been doing a lot of metal. Um, and one of my top albums of all time is going to be Dr. Dre's The Chronic. I I just, this this album, when it came out, pretty much changed rap, in my opinion. It it, it took it in a whole different direction. And, and you look at the number of people that were on this album that ended up going on to be super famous and have careers. And, and it just, it's ridiculous. And, I mean... Nothing but a G thing. Let them ride or whatever. Let me ride. I'm, so many huge hits and just catchy shit. Uh, as far as a rap album goes, it, it doesn't get much better. Yeah, that was on my list too, and it it had to be on my. When I was thinking about rap albums, there were three that I considered for my top ten of all time. It was this N.W.A. Straight Outta Compton and Ice Cube, like. America KKK um, or Lethal Injection. Both of those are really badass. But I, when this album came out, of course, me and David were in school, and I think that summer we listened to this every day, cruising around in his car. Two white dudes in Kentucky. I mean, that shows the power and the reach of this. And I could still, like, I went to a party up here not that long ago with some of the people that I work with and they put on the vinyl version of this and everybody was just nodding their head and singing along fucking what 18 years later 28 years later something like that so yeah Were they in shock when the old white dude busted out and out wrapped them on this album uh, well I mean uh, I <laughs> I didn't out wrap anybody but they were impressed that I knew it, but I mean, they, they all know because fuck, this was this is probably one of the the largest rap albums of all time, uh, sales wise. Yeah, and and it still it still holds up. It still sounds good, and you can't say that about a lot of the older rap. You know, a lot of that older rap sounds like shit when you listen to it now. <laughs> yeah, but but this album still holds up and still sounds fantastic. I only have one thing to say to that, and that is that I will forever rep 36 Chambers. I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. 
I have never heard that. I've heard bits of this album. If I listen to them, I can be like, oh, I've heard this or heard this, but I haven't ever sat down and listened to this one start to finish. So my number is now to five. Well, just remember that Wu-Tang ain't nothing to fuck with and you'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, so since that was on my list, I'm just going to throw it back to you, Tracy. All righty. Uh, my number six, I believe. Yeah, number six is the Devin Townsend Project Transcendence from 2016. And this, I tried listening to Devin Townsend's project, Devin Townsend's side projects, like Strapping on Lad and solo stuff previously before this album. And I heard it, and this thing, album, in a sense, has almost a spiritual quality to it that I didn't quite expect, and it really kind of hooked me. Having heard Strapping Young Lad before I heard anything of this, it would actually surprise me that Devin Townsend was as good of a singer as he is. Oh, have you actually sat down and listened to this album? I've heard stuff off of it. I haven't listened to the entire thing. But, you know, when I saw him in Strapping Young Lad, he was much more just up there screaming, which I I like metal, so it's cool. But I was uh, actually surprised when he was actually singing, singing on this, so... Yeah, and that that's kind of what surprised me about it is I'd heard his stuff at Strapping Lad, then I come across this, and it's like, holy fuck, this is the same guy? What the hell? And just that spiritual quality about it has really hooked me ever since I first heard it, and he does such a good job with it. And I'll say this for the fans, like, when he goes in to write an album, he ends up releasing like a whole second disc of demos, which are still relatively good. He's just like, they're, they're 80% done. They're not a full hundred percent done. So you get a whole extra CD for the price. I will admit I've never, I know who strapping young lad is. I know who Devin Townsend is, but I've never actually sat down and listened to them. So I might have to look into that. Yeah. I've never listened to a whole album, but I've heard songs here and there. So I don't I don't really have an opinion either way. It's super proggy. I'll go with that. I know when he tours, he has, has like a full orchestra accompaniment in some parts, like a full choir, and the, his band members going with him. So he gets really into the weeds on it. Well, describing it as prog is a good way to make me not listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's prog. I'm just going to give you that. So just... I don't mind Prague. I kind of, I kind of have to be in a mood for it though. I have to kind of already be in a relaxed state of I just want to veg out and listen to some Prague metal. So I'm almost never in a mood for Prague metal, but sometimes some of it happens and I like it. <laughs> but it's very rare. Yeah, as close to Prague as I can get is Tool. <laughs> I like Dream Theater and stuff. Yeah. I just I hate it. <laughs> even, even though you know I. As musicians, all prog musicians are super fucking talented. You know, yeah. To be able to play the shit they play is ridiculous, but I, I just I, I don't like listening to it. And I listen to probably way too much prog for everybody else's liking. I don't really so smoke weed anymore. Nobody cares. <laughs> I don't really smoke weed anymore, and I like prog. <sighs> all right, Buzz, hit us with your next one. All right, so number six, I'll be very surprised if anyone has ever heard of or listened to or even has on their on their list, so I'm just going to jump in here. Um, so 
some people who listen to the Ben and I's podcast might know already I, I am into goth. I kind of did grow up with that a little bit. Um, one of my favorite bands is a band called Bella Morte, and they're from Virginia. And I bring this up because they're not very well known outside of like your goth death rock, death wave uh, people. Um, but in, they've been around since 97. Well, in 2004, they came out with an album called As the Reasons Die. And this is kind of what I consider to be their best album right behind Where Shadows Lie. And the reason I have to kind of say that is every album they release is a little bit different. There's a different theme that they go with. Um, while this isn't certainly going to be the best band you're ever going to hear, it's not probably going to be your most favorite band ever. You might even be like, man, I can't believe you like this garbage. Um, but Andy Dean has a really good, op- almost an operatic voice when he sings because he's he, he's one of these guys that can go up and down octaves very easily. Um, he's also one of the few tenor singers that has gotten onto the metal side of things as well as the more uh, depressive dark wave side of things. Um, in that sense of he doesn't really touch on he touches on heavy stuff, but he doesn't get too heavy about it. As the reasons die got me through a lot of times um, when I was in college because while I did listen to them before then, um, almost every song on here is fucking depressing, and I like depressing music because depressing music doesn't make me want to go do any kind of self-harm or feel shitty about myself. Depressing music kind of opens up my brain a little bit and allows me to enjoy life for what it is. So I kind of get the opposite effect that some people get from it. Um, Even though a lot of the songs on here are sped up, even though it's very electronica focused, um, just it's, it's something I've never been able to really get tired of. And so it meant a lot to me, my early twenties so much that I, the, punk group i was in we tried to kind of do this a little bit but no one really got into it um so i just touched on it a little bit had everyone listen to it see what they thought um i tried to go that route didn't work out but it's it, it's got me through some tough times man um i had a lot of shit coming on in my early 20s that were uh almost almost not quite to the level of what you would consider a midlife crisis but it this this album was there for me through all of that so I guess I have more respect for this album rather than saying this is just one of my favorite albums ever, but that's why I rank it so high. I've heard um, of this band, but I've never heard them. So I was going to say, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I remember Floyd have, listening to some of their stuff back in the day. But yeah, what you were saying about depressing music, yeah. I, I, that's why I love depressing country music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for the same yeah. reasons, you know. Same, yeah. Agreed. Um, I guess I'll go next and kind of like David, because I, I, I'm looking at my list and I'm going, I think David might have these two albums on his. So I'm going to pick a different album off of mine because I'm pretty sure he won't have this one. <laughs> but I'm going to go with um, Seaburl's Copperhead Road from 1988. Um, that is an anthemic song. You, if you've ever been a bar in a rural place, you've heard that fucking song. I mean, it's awesome. The use of bagpipes on it. Um, but that's not even the best song on that album. That album is just chock full of really cool stuff from front to back. It's, 
is nominally a country album, although I would argue that it's actually a rock album if you listen to it, because I think there's only one song on it that really sounds like stereotypical country and everything else should have been on a rock station instead of anything um, with the WK at the beginning of it. And I think Steve Earle is one of the best songwriters living. And this is probably his best album. Of course, it was also the one that he released right before he got all hooked up on heroin and wound up in jail. So, be that as it may. This is an album I need to listen to. Um, I've n- never listened to a whole Steve Earle album because the radio made me hate Copperhead Road so much because they played it so many times. They so played the shit out of that song. So, I've never actually gone and checked out an album. I would agree he's he's one of the best songwriters alive these days, but... Yeah, so I definitely need to listen to this. I, I I'm I enjoy this album a lot. Um, so the Devil's Right Hand is probably one of my favorite songs that he's ever written, and it just so happens to be on this album. And I I I, I can't get enough of that song, man. It's it's something that I really feel like should have gotten more radio play, if at all. I think I remember hearing it like on a college radio station. Um, but yeah, every I'm I'm kind of with Ben on this, man. This is if you really want to get into him and find out like. What is Steve Earle like aside from Copperhead Road? Just don't listen to the opening song and listen to the rest of the album. And that that'll give you an idea. Yeah. I really like Copperhead Road. It's just like David said, it's just been played so much that it, it's overrated at this point. But, but you know, there, there's so many great deep tracks on it. Like you said, um, Devil's Right Hand, Back to the Wall, Johnny Come Lately, just on and on. It's just a really solid album. My only experience with Steve Earle is Copperhead Road, but you could tell how much it, the breadth of that song in itself has because it plays in both country and classic rock stations. So it is accepted across multiple platforms of genres like this is ours. Yeah, and, and one final thing on Steve Earle. Uh, Steve Earle was one of my favorite artists. I mean, I, I said the thing about him going to prison. When he came out of prison, the first five albums that he released after that were much more... He had kind of stepped back from the rock stuff, and it was much more country and bluegrass stuff, and I think that those five albums, with one or two rock songs on them, I think those are is probably one of the best five album stretches by any artist, but if I didn't want to just load up my list with a bunch of albums by the same person because I could have done that with Slayer or, you know, a bunch of other people too. And I just like, no, I'll just stick with the one. And I, th- I do think that this is probably his best one. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever listened to Steve Earle's show on XM radio, he's, he's got great taste in music too. <laughs> uh, there was one night that it was on while I was in the car and he was playing black flag and no effects and bad religion and stuff, you know? So yeah, he's got he's got great taste in music as well as being a great songwriter. That that's always been what I thought about him, man. I just it, usually good songwriters typically like more than one genre of music, or they really get into other types of music. Um, and you can always see that reflected in what they write, even if it's not what you might expect. Yeah, I would agree with that statement for sure. All right, David, what you got? Um, I'm going to go back to metal on this one. Uh, Megadeth, Rust in Peace. This, I, I, 
when I listen to this album, I think well, this is four dudes just showing off, <laughs> you know, it, and, and it just the the way songs are structured with the tempo pace, the tempo changes and the different riffs and stuff. I man, this album, this this actually I think Killing and or no, which one? Their their first album was the first album I heard by Megadeth, but yeah, this one was the first one where I actually enjoyed Megadeth. <laughs> Because I didn't like their first album, but but this one, man, like I said, the songwriting is ridiculous, and the musicianship—they're just—they're just showing off. They're like, hey, we're better than Metallica. <laughs> you could tell Dave Mustaine had a very very large axe to grind with what would be this album kick off three albums that are fucking phenomenal. That I, I mean, had a tough time choosing between. I'm gonna say that you could go back an album because I really like Peace Sales, but who's buying? Um, that might just be me, but they yeah, kind of this stumbled into that one though. They, this one felt like they had an axe to grind with a purpose. Peace sells, but who's behind? They're like, uh, we didn't expect this kind of reception for it. Uh, what the fuck's oh, no. going on? <laughs> this is better than Peace sells, but who's behind? Hell, it's on my list. Um, it's just like David said, this is four guys showing off. This is, and I think Dave wrote all the fucking music for this. Um, and just you know. Oh yeah, check this out. Uh, Hangar 18, banger. Black Magic, banger. All this other stuff. Black Magic might not have been on this album, but anyway, just all the stuff that is on here. Again, head to toe, a great metal album. Yeah, uh, Holy Wars, Tornado of Souls. I mean, I mean it yeah. is a head to toe, a phenomenal fucking album, and it was between Rust in Peace and Euthanasia for my list. Oh, is and this I on chose, your list, Tracy? I chose Euthanasia. Because okay. that one has a little more personal attachment to it than I than Rust in Peace does. Yeah, Lucretia, holy crap, Polaris, man. Yeah, like I said, this album just it's just amazing. There's not a bad song on that whole album. Yeah, I got nothing to add, man. You guys pretty much just summed up everything I feel about it. Um, so yeah, I guess back to you then, Tracy. My number five pick is Scar Symmetry's Holographic Universe. And this is the last album that they did with their original lead singer who did both the clean and the fry vocals on here. And you can see such a drastic range that he has that they required them to get two lead singers to replace him and for their following albums. And so just how they recorded this and structured it has always just been kind of it's always been my put in the radio and just drive play soundtrack. It's always been one of those that just has always fit with me to do that. Again, an album I haven't heard, so I really don't have anything to say. Yep. Haven't heard this one. So I too will add that I've not heard this one. So this will go to my bucket list of things to listen to. Maybe I should branch up into other genres because I'm way too into weed sometimes, I feel like. Want it hot? You, you are just a man who knows what he likes, and what he likes is progressive metal. These guys are kind of progressive, but not really. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, the thing like Holographic Universe, it screams progressive, whether it actually the, is It's or a not. concept album dealing with the theory that the universe is holographic. But Okay, okay, so it's progressive metal or concept, concept albums. 
<laughs> their lyrical yeah. content deals with that, but their music, like, they don't have a bunch of, like, instruments thrown in and none of the traditional, like, dream theater. Here you go. They don't have none of that shit. They're more from of a symphonic death metal. Okay. Well. Um, Buzz. I have already talked about this next album in the podcast I co-host with Ben. And I make no qualms about this being one of my favorite albums ever, and it's definitely one of my favorite punk albums. Uh, this is going to be Dropkick Murphy's Do or Die. And I spoke a lot in our podcast uh, that got released last week on this. Um, everything I said on that podcast applies here. Um, I'm just going to go a little bit more into my heap of praise of Mike McCloggan because he goes into a lot of like championing the working man. And that's something you see more in country than you do in, uh, explicitly in punk. And I'm not going to say it's not there in punk at all. Just, it's not as explicit. And this first album that dropkick came out with, man, it was just, it, it spoke a lot to me because of what it was talking about. It was also one of their faster, more aggressive albums. Um, they didn't need to kind of speed things down at all. And they didn't have the plastic patty feel that you might get a little bit later with some of their later albums and that some Celtic punk bands have. Um, they were very honest about what they were at the time. And, you know, uh, Buzz in seventh grade and first hearing this album when they first came out from someone who stole the CD from the record store and let them listen to it um, was kind of blown away because I hadn't heard anything when this album came out. So it meant a lot to me back then. It still does today. Um, I never get tired of listening to it. So... I mean, there it goes. That's uh, that's number five for me. I mean, I we did a review of it, so I, I kind of put my thoughts on it out there. I would say Dropkick Murphy is not one of my favorite bands by any stretch of the imagination, but I had never heard this album, and I did like it for a lot of the reasons you said. I liked the blue-collar feel of it, and it didn't have that plastic patty thing going on, um, and it was more aggressive, so things that I don't really think of that much when I uh, in listening to other Dropkick albums. Yeah, I've never heard this album as a whole, for sure. Um, Dropkick Murphys, for me, is a band that you can play me any one song and I'm going to like it, but when I listen to more than one in a row, they all just kind of sound the same. I don't know. And like I said, I haven't heard this album, so maybe, maybe it's not like that. But I've added it to my bucket list. It's very much more hardcore, uh, skinhead-ish oi than it is um, what you hear now on the radio from them. Without a doubt. Okay, I'll have to check it out. I I'm, I'm tend to be lean more towards the hardcore, I guess, when it comes to punk music. That or pop punk. <laughs> yeah, everyone who knows me knows my distaste of pop punk. It depends on the pop. Say for the Ramones, but that's just because that's you know, who they are. But you know. well, now see when I when I'm saying pop punk, I'm talking about Bad Religion or The Descendants or uh, uh, Pennywise, you know that that kind of stuff. So, oh, you don't mean Green Day? No, Green Day's a punk band. I would call I would call Green Day commercial punk. I mean, I think you're. That's an interesting distinction because when I think of pop punk, I think of Green Day and Rancid. And I like Rancid. I don't like Green Day. Um, and with Bad Religion, I don't think of them as pop punk. 
so but i guess if you're going to differentiate that out into commercial punk that makes sense i just that is not one that i would have made yeah to me when i think pop punk i just think of catchy vocals and you know just catchy melodies and stuff like that yeah so ever clear um go ahead well actually no you you went last time and it just happened to be on my list too i think i only have one left that's not actually this one might not be on your list anthrax sound of white noise my favorite anthrax album hands down um it was such a change i do i mean we just released an album review of it i do think it was a continuation of what they were doing on persistence of time but i liked a whole lot but i think john butch is such a better singer than joey belladonna and i liked the somewhat step away from thrash that they made on this album and the the little bit of experimentation they did which anthrax is really super experimental anyway but black lodge is great and just a aggressive mature album that has the best of anthrax on it in my opinion uh, yeah sound of white noise did make my list um I, it, it was it was a toss-up really between this album and persistence in time for me i and at the end i went with sound of white noise if i had had another spot they would have been the band that got two albums on the list because i enjoyed those two albums so much yeah, yeah uh, sound of white noise didn't make my list but i will say that it is probably their probably one of their better albums best times i'm tired i'm torn between it and worship music really but you do see the maturity in them that they have gained throughout their lives compared to the earlier stuff comes forward in sound of white noise which really kind of draws you to appreciate it for a band that changed singers as much as they did because they've had well four different vocalists i think um i only think they recorded with three the amount of consistently good albums that they put out, and some being great albums, is really impressive, especially considering I think a lot of people think of them as the least of the big four. Well, Yeah, but I think that's also leads credence to the two primary songwriters never left the band. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Scott Ian and Charlie Benante are the primary songwriters, so... I feel like Scott Ian could just be by himself, and as long as he didn't have to sing, he could entertain me for hours. Yeah, well, yeah, I think he would entertain me, but I, 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 I really think that Charlie's contributions to the band get overlooked by just how much of an extrovert Scott Ian is, and the fact that he'll go on any VH1 show and talk about metal. So yeah, and uh, and, and Scott Ian plays on a, the Brian Pasin stuff too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Tracy, back to you. All righty. Uh, my number four is Trivium Shogun, released from 2008. It's their last album with their original drummer. And they tried the Philly Shoe several times, and they got people that were more faster technical. He just he was able to lay down a groove they haven't quite been able to match that seems like they're sorely missing on their later albums. But this is they're in their prime in this writing cycle and it's just everything they wrote clicks and it all stands out really well. And I don't think there's really a bad song on this album. I haven't uh, refrained with some of the stuff that you mentioned. I haven't listened to this album. The last one that I listened to was the crusade, which I liked, but I just, 
I wasn't a huge enough fan that I was like, oh man, there's a new Trivial album. I got to run out and check it out. So uh, unless it was somebody would have put it in front of me, I just wouldn't have noticed. Yeah, and that's the weird thing about this album is because uh, Ascendancy, and then they changed up their style for the Crusade. They got rid of their screaming. And the fans got pissy, so they went back to screaming in this one. But they changed the format instead of it being, and they did more of like the choruses, and they toned the screaming back more than the sentence was. And I think the, they found a perfect happy medium where previously was everything was screamed except for the chorus and the sentence. And they turned the guitars up to, they dropped them down a little bit and sped up a little bit. Yeah, this is another album I haven't listened to. Everything I've heard by Trivium I've liked, but haven't liked enough to go check out a whole album that's right matt um i've i've heard this band before i've heard a few songs of theirs but nothing really grabbed me to make me want to go out and uh purchase an album but with the advent of things like spotify and youtube i i might uh might try to check this out i wrote dance on my bucket list anyway so we'll see they have a uh, song uh the self-titled the album titled song on this album is probably the best encapsulation for the band, I would say, for the album. So, but it's 11 minutes. I know somebody doesn't like really long songs. I, I don't mind really long songs. I just don't like really long songs that are either have so many parts that it doesn't even sound like it's exactly the same song, or it, there's somebody just jamming on a riff for 18 minutes. You mean you don't love those 20-minute yeah. Stoner Doom songs? Caius has some of those 15-minute songs where it sounds like it's four different songs. <laughs> we can give you Sonsono where they have two riffs, a whole song that's 20 minutes. I, I'm just not on the right illegal substances to, to get into that, I guess. I don't know. Well, Ben, I guess we have to go expand our minds on this. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, Buzz, back at you. <clears throat> All right, so it's no surprise what my favorite, and, and by the way, pretty much everything here on out is going to be punk, so just get used to it. Um, it's no surprise that Misfits is probably one of my favorite bands. Um, but when, after the initial breakup in 83, um, back in the 90s, they got back together with a new vocalist, uh, if you, for those that know Michael Graves, and I I really enjoy Michael Graves as a vocalist, and when it comes to the Misfits, this is the era of the band that I wish they would have changed the name. Um, I know there was that side project, Christ the Conqueror, where Jerry and and uh, his brother were trying to do like an almost quasi-Christian metal thing, which I'm glad didn't work out. Um, but the I feel like the name change would have saved them a lot of a lot of anger and resentment from older fans. Um, the reason I listed this. Uh, up so high is this is the first misfits album i heard i didn't know danzig originally sung for them <clears throat> now this album uh, came out in 1999 i had heard famous monsters back in uh, middle school when it came or i had heard uh cut uh, american psycho back in 97 when it came out when i was in middle school but famous monsters is kind of always stuck out to me more because i actually got to appreciate the vocal range that michael graves has um also, he did a lot more songwriting on this album than he did on the first one. And being going back to like when I was in 
in high school, my first year you know, when this when this album came out. I mean, I have a shit ton of good memories from that. Um, I remember the first time I ran a, a Vampire the Masquerade game. Um, I was I was playing this in the background as part of my noise to kind of get everyone in the mood of the the uh, scene I was doing. But um, no, everything on this album it's they're very cheesy on the lyrics. This is back this is when they started becoming less less punk and more th- like theme music, if you will, like with that horror theme. But I appreciate it because at the time I was that kid of hey, I, I'm really into horror music and, and and movies and things like this. Of course, I'm gonna like this band. And just as a quick aside, before I step off my soapbox here, listening to Michael Graves' solo stuff, he is a fucking amazing songwriter. I love listening to him. Um, he's a lot like Hank the Third in that when he's done playing his set, he will walk out in the middle of the fucking audience and hang out with you and talk to you, and he will not turn anyone away. Um, the only time he doesn't sign shit is if it's he's got like a if there's like a specific like um, custom signature CD that you can only get with his signature on if you pay like a certain amount of money. If it's not something like that, he'll sign just about anything. He'll sit there and talk. Like he and I had a conversation the last time I saw him for like 30 minutes about um, the West Memphis Three, which is something he championed. So uh, I really enjoyed his vocals on this album, and everything just fits so well. I, I, I can't say enough good things about this without taking up too much more time. Uh, yeah. Um, I actually like the Michael Graves Misfits stuff, and I, I had heard the Danzig Misfits stuff before, but I still like the Michael Graves stuff. It's some really catchy stuff, and I, uh, I, I think he did a great job filling in those shoes for Danzig, even though it was, what, 10 years later? 15 years later? Uh, thereabouts. See, they broke up in, what, 83, and then uh, American Psycho came out in 97. I think he joined in 95, so not not quite 10 years. I don't think I've heard Famous Monsters. David had American Psycho, so I did hear it, and I, I did too. I like Michael Graves as a vocalist. I thought, I thought the best thing they did is they didn't try and get somebody who sounded like Danzig and who sounded completely different. And I just really liked Michael Graves' sound and what he brought to the band. It didn't sound like the old Misfits, but that's okay. They didn't have to. Um, so yeah, I like this era of the band too. So I think it might have come a surprise to David and Buzz, but not so much Ben. Maybe it will. I have never listened to anything Misfits. So, I've added this to the list, and we'll see how it goes. This also is one of the songs I did karaoke night uh, here in Clarksville when I was younger um, that got people to fucking come in and start, like, they're like, who the fuck is that singing? And um, actually got me involved in one of my first first kind of sort of serious bands. We didn't last very long, but... Um, it was the first time that I'd played with people that actually wanted to do music because they'd, they'd heard that, but I was covering uh, Saturday night and people were like thinking either I wrote that song or that it was like from the fifties and I just like sped it up and like, no, this is a fucking misfit song. And I had to explain to a bunch of people who the misfits were. Uh, another little side note about the misfits. When they first started out, they didn't have a guitar player and Danzig played piano yeah, and piano. And a couple of those tracks are in the box set, and, and they're amazing. I, I wish they had done a full album like that. 
Yeah, me too. All right. Um, I've got four albums left, and I would bet three of them aren't on anybody's list. So I'm going to go with one that I know for sure is not going to be on anybody's list. Uh, Lydia Loveless, Somewhere Else. I love this album. It's a mix of country and 60s garage rock. And uh, you would listen to it and almost think the musicians are just sloppy and not that good, I would guess, but it's completely intentional. You know, this, this is the sound they were going for, having seen them live a few times that, that I, you know, you get that. But it actually, this album made me go search out some of that 60s garage rock and listen to it. And, and there's so much of that stuff that is really good that I never listened to before, you know, and, and it also kind of surprised me how many, uh, of those 60 garage rock bands were all female because that wasn't really a thing, you know, back in the 60s, 70s and 80s, as far as I knew, but apparently it was. But yeah, this album, when it comes to lyrics, the songwriting, I, I just, I love it as, all, as a whole. So this album is actually the review that Whiskey and Woe is releasing tomorrow as we record this. So I don't want to spoil, even though this will have come out after that. I'm not as high on it as David. Um, I do think it's a really good album. She has a great voice. She is a a belter in the style of Janis Joplin, just a big, strong, powerful voice. I think she probably has better control of it than Janis did. There's probably some argument around that. Um, so if you if you like that, it in all the stuff that David said, you'll probably like this album. For me, I thought the album drug in some places, so it obviously didn't make my top ten, but it is really solid. It's really good. I haven't listened to any of that, I don't think. I would have been shocked if you had. <laughs> I have not heard the album, but I have heard Lydia Loveless. I've heard a few of the uh, singles that she's put out. Um, I quite enjoy her. Um, I'm actually surprised I never really like set out to try and listen to more but i from what little i've heard i really do enjoy that uh, yeah uh i'm kind of surprised anybody had actually even heard her um because she's not very well known but i guess among music nerds who are searching out new stuff <laughs> you would you probably come across her um uh, yeah she i don't know i don't know i just i, I love that mix of country and dirty rock and uh the album before this probably had a little more little more country and punk influence i would almost say with the like the song can't change me and stuff yeah so i only have two albums left um because a lot of mine got sniped by other people's lists i'm looking at you david and a little bit at buzz because buzz had two too uh but i have one album that i don't think is going to be on anybody else's list so i'll just go ahead and drop it jason isbell's southeastern from 2013 um everything that i said about as far as songwriters go that i said about steve earl jason isbell is up there too from his stuff with the drive-by truckers to his solo stuff to this and holy fuck like buzz said this album came out or i discovered this album because i didn't i didn't find it in 2013 i don't think i found it till like 2014 or 2015 it was one of those things where i was driving back and forth to 
university and you know the npr station played um the last song on the album um fuck what is the name of that song relatively easy and i just made an emotional connection with that and i was like holy fuck that is so good and it was a a shout out to a, a style of country that i love but not a whole lot of people were making anymore and you definitely didn't fucking hear on the radio and i i looked at the album and every song on it just spoke to me and it's very powerful and had a connection i love this album yeah this uh i mean this cd i'm not sure there's a bad song on this album but the one that stands out to me the most is elephant that song man that it, if you listen to that song and it don't punch you in the gut, I, I just I don't know what you're what oh, you're listening yeah. to. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, fuck, man, my it, my dad died of cancer, and that that's man, it, I wept openly the first time I heard that album, that song. Yeah, and I, me personally, when it comes to Jason Isbell, I prefer his drive-by trucker stuff. But like I said with Lydia Loveless, I like that mix of country and dirty rock and roll, you know, and that's what the drive-by truckers does. So, yeah, I would actually like it more if they played more of the stuff that he wrote. Which, granted, the stuff that he wrote in drive-by truckers is some of my favorite drive-by truckers stuff. Um, and Patterson Hood, and I can, I can never remember the name of the other guy. Mike um, Cooley. Yeah, Mike Cooley. Um, they have some good stuff too. I, I I do think I don't think they reach their potential as at all three songwriters being in the band, um, but I do understand why Isabel quit and he's a strong enough songwriter that he doesn't really need two other really good songwriters in his band with him. Yeah, it's it's it, well, it's pretty obvious that they don't collaborate when they're writing the music that are writing the songs that they just write their own song, bring it to the band, right, and. and I, I like Mike Cooley a lot as a songwriter too. I mean that that uh uh shit. The fuck is the name of that song? The goddamn the, well, no, the one about the Cadillac. Um Oh, uh um, Cooley wrote um uh, Carl Perkins Cadillac. Yeah, Carl Perkins Cadillac. That song is great. Yeah. Which yeah, you know, goddamn lonely love. That's a freaking amazing song too. I think that's an Isabel written song. So yeah, that that I'm Yeah, that one's an Isabel song. Uh, I've go ahead. I was just say this is gonna be another bucket list one for me because I, strangely enough, have not actually heard heard of this artist or this album, so I have to look that up. It's a bucket list for me, and I went and kind of looked him up and kind of gave a quick little playthrough. And I'm like, okay, I'll give this a check and give it a spin because it does seem like it has that. Uh, twangy country sound that seems to be missing a lot in today's country yeah um go listen to elephant if you don't like that then you're not gonna like jason isbell <laughs> yeah essentially definitely will all right back to you tracy okay i uh, i think well we're down to a lot less sounds than the possibility of hitting one I think my last two, I might be on other people's list. This one's a 50-50, I think. But my number three is Mastodon Crack the Sky. And 
originally when I first heard Mastodon, I'd been Leviathan Air, and I was like, what the hell? I did not care for it. And the old Facebook game song pop was coming up, and I'd heard this song. I was like, what the hell is this? And it says Mastodon. I'm like, that's not Mastodon. They don't sound that way. So I watched a video, and I was like, holy fuck. And the opening track, Oblivion, became such an earworm that I think I listened to this album for two months nonstop and just incorporated more Mastodon into the playlist until I was barfing Mastodon. And this album just stuck with me. It's such a touching album because it's written in dedication to the drummer's sister who committed suicide at the age of 14. It's dark. It's a story. It's got a concept of them that's got an interesting twist to it. And it deals with a revolutionary Russia. So... And Rasputin, so you can't go wrong with that either. Uh, Mastodon was a band for me that I enjoyed more after seeing them live. Because before I saw them live, I had heard the album and didn't wasn't a huge fan. But after seeing them play live, they're just they're amazing. And and there's a couple of bands that are like that for me. That after seeing them live, I enjoyed them much more. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that the only slight issue there was when I saw him live is some of the uh, the guitarist microphone wasn't quite set up right, and so it was like having a weird pickup on it. But outside of that, they're had a phenomenal set. Oh yeah, and when when did we see Mastodon? What was it, two thousand? Um, I thought it was later than that because I it thought we saw them on the um, it was on the Unholy was, Alliance tour. Yeah, and I think that was. I don't remember what year that was, uh, but it was them and Children of Bottom and Slayer. Um, and Lamb of God. Yeah. Was that was when you had your gallbladder removed? Yeah, it was when so I had my gallbladder that... out. Um, it might have been 2005. It's been, it's been at was, least 15 years. I was thinking it might have been 06, but yeah. it might have been 05. It was somewhere in there. I don't remember exactly the year, but it's been at least... It's been at least 14, 15 years. It was on the Leviathan album was when we saw them. So yeah. Wikipedia is giving 04 for okay. that concert tour. Okay. okay. Uh, that's about right then. Yeah. That, hell, that was a great show. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> I And yeah, it's weird because we did Emperor of Sand not that long ago on Thunderdome. And so I haven't heard this album. Um and I said everything I think I need to say about Macedon on that. I do agree that they were pretty good live, although I think they were probably the worst band there. And so they didn't really stick out to me. They didn't impress me as much as they did you from that. I mean, you might have seen them again some other time, but when I saw them then, I was just like, man. Well, I can I, I can agree that they were the worst band that night, but... Have, having heard the album before, I was impressed with them live because I, I enjoyed them so much more than what I enjoyed listening to the album, gotcha. even though they were still the worst band that night. <laughs> and I stand corrected, it was 2006. The, the 2004 tour was Slipknot and Slayer and Hatebreed. The 06 was okay. Slayer, Whamma God, Bodom, and Mastodon. All I have to say about Mastodon, I like them. I've seen them live. Um, it's one of those bands I don't enjoy listening to on an album, but I fucking love listening to live if I can get a chance to see them. So um, it's I don't have a whole lot to say other than that. Um, I've always liked the energy they bring. I was I do like them as a band. I just they never really grabbed me album wise. So that's my two cents. 
All right, man. Well, let's get your next album. So number three was taken from me because we mentioned Black Flag earlier, so I went ahead and crossed that out. But I had a backup plan because I figured something like this might happen. So number three for me, um, I don't know if anyone – well, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of this. but um, So there's a band called The Dubliners that I grew up on. And when I say grew up on them, I mean I grew up on them. I grew up on uh, in a very Irish household, and I kind of grew up with this kind of music. So the Dubliners have a very good place in my heart as far as the kind of music that I was into getting older, um, especially getting into uh, some of the some of the country and even uh, bluegrass as I got a little bit older. Um, but specifically, I didn't pick an album. On my backup was I just wrote Dubliners slash Luke Kelly. And I say that because Luke Kelly is a fucking phenomenal vocalist, man. Um, if you ever get a chance to listen to him or if you haven't, he has a very clear, uh, just, you mentioned earlier, uh, belting out. Like, it's it's always out in the open when he sings, man. And every every song he's done, I don't think I've ever gotten tired of. So I couldn't pick an album. I just wrote his name and gone with that. Uh, pick anything with him on the vocals in that band. I, I like it. I've heard the Dubliners, but I couldn't tell you what song it was. I just know that I have heard them. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've heard them. I don't think I've ever heard them either. If you're going to go listen to it, uh, be prepared. It is uh, Irish folk music. It is from the 60s. Uh, so kind of be prepared for that if that's your thing. If not... You may not like it, but, you know, hey, give it a shot. Well, I've only got one more album left, and I know this is on David's list, too. And it is Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power. It is not on my list. Oh, really? I am shocked that that is not on your list. Holy hell. Um, Pantera, Slayer is probably my favorite metal band of all time. But my first favorite metal band was probably Pantera because, man, when I heard Cowboys from Hell, it was such a fucking game changer. And it was just like, holy shit. And then Vulgar Display of Power came out and fucking Walk and Bike Demons Be Driven. And just, again, not a bad song on that album. Primal Concrete Sledge. Just fucking hell. Just, again, a an avalanche of heavy metal riffage and a little bit of southernness mixed into it. It got me. Yeah. Part of the reason this album didn't make my list is because there's really only about five tracks on it that I really like. And the other ones are just all right, in my opinion. I I can see that. I mean, I, I don't think they're bad, so I didn't really consider them like, Oh, into my caveat of not being good songs, but I can see where something else might overtake it. If you think only about five of them are really, really good. Yeah, this is, but like we talked about when we recorded the uh, whiskey Myers episode the other day, are, are they just not as good or is it because the other ones are so good that they pale in comparison? I, I, I would lean more towards that personally, but yeah. I'll probably say this, uh, Vulcan Display of Power is probably my favorite Pantera album release, and 
I don't think you could have picked a better album cover to fit what this music encapsulates. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, it's just a dude getting punched straight in the fucking face. So. That's yeah, this, this was the first Pantera album I heard, uh, I will say. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, as much as I loved it, it didn't make my top ten. Mouth for War, Mouth for War is my first Pantera song I ever heard. It has stuck with me ever since. That might be my favorite Pantera song. That's a good one. I remember looking at the uh, photos inside the liner, and it's Phil. He's got a microphone, but the the bottom of the microphone is kind of reflective, and he's kind of moving, so it leaves like the light trail on it. And like, I don't know how old we were at the time, like 16, 17, whatever we were. I was like, holy fuck, dude's got a knife on the album. <laughs> Because I was a dumbass, but it was, uh, I just love that album. So I enjoyed Vulgar Display of Power, but I do think I enjoyed Cowboys from Hell more. I don't know why, just it's always stuck out in my head more and always kind of got into me. Uh, Spoke to me more as a musician. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I do think, to, again, me personally, that. As good as Cowboys from Hell was and the playing on it. I, I do think Phil singing was better on Cowboys from Hell than it is on Booker Display. Um, go listen to Cemetery Gates if you've never heard it. But the just the stuff that Dime started to do on guitar, I think that Vulgar Display is, is kind of the album that set him apart from the Kings and Hannamans and even the Dave Mustaines of the world um, as the guitar you know, idol of the time. Yeah, like I said earlier, go try to play that guitar solo from Walk. It's ridiculous. I mean, if you, if you want to know how hard it is, listen to the Avenged Sevenfold cover and how bad he butchered it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, let's get your next album then, since I, I thought for sure that that was going to be on there, but it's not. No, it, it, I mean, it was close. It, it was probably about number 12. <laughs> um, Next album I'm going to go with is Ice Cube's Death Certificate. This this album, man, I love this album. This one this one came out before The Chronic, and uh, it had a couple of diss tracks on it where it was dissing the NWA guys that were hilarious. No Vaseline, that song is hilarious. Oh, yeah. But uh, when I had my first car, it had a cassette deck in it, and at the time I had switched my whole music collection over to CDs. But I had this on cassette, and I and I listened to it over and over and over and over, and never got tired of it. It was it was this and Anthrax's Persistence at the time. Those were the only two cassettes I had, and I listened to them over and over and over and over, and never got tired. Never got tired of it. It's just it's lyrically the album is so strong. Man, Cube had a great run there with those albums. So I was just yeah, oh, yeah, he had. That, that was like a like a three album stretch right there where he yep. was just at the top of his game, for sure. Adding it to the bucket list. Yeah, for me this I mean, like I said earlier when I was talking about um, the Dre album, this this stretch from Cube is right up there with it. Um, uh, I can't dispute anything David said because. You know, as as slick and professional as Dre was, Dre's a better producer. Cuba's a much better rapper, and I think he wrote better rhymes. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, he's 
definitely a better lyric writer than what Dre was. But yeah, this is this. I I feel like if if you like rap at all, you need to listen to this album. Okay, I feel really confident that my next two albums people have heard. Number two for me, as I previously stated, was Megadeth Euthanasia. And this album, since the first moment I heard it, I just, I think the kind of more melodic approach they took with this album, it really kind of touched me. I, for some reason, I love a victory. The one where he just names drops all the songs they've written in it. I've always found it humorous and loved it. I like Atul Monde, and I think it's such a great song, and I enjoy the redo they did with it with uh, Christina Scabia from Laguna Cole on United Abominations, and I don't think there's a bad track on this album as a whole. I think this was the last one with what is considered the classic lineup. Correct. Uh, and to me... All the other albums with the classic lineup are better. Uh, I do like some of the albums on this, but as far, I mean, some of the songs on this, Atut Lamont is a great song. Um, but I, I do think that, obviously, Rest in Peace, because it was on my top ten, but even Symphony of Destruction was better than this, or Countdown to Extinction. Um, you know, so there's still some solid stuff on this, but I, I do think of the classic lineup albums, in my opinion, it's the weakest one. But I, I think that could also be an age thing, and when I heard it, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I really like this album too. Um, I think that that Rust in Peace, Countdown to Extinction, Euthanasia, that is a great three album stretch. I mean, most bands aren't going to put three albums out back to back that are as good as what those three albums are. Yeah. So I have to agree. I, I I like this album quite a bit. I am, a, I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm the biggest Megadeth fan, but I like them quite a bit. Um, and Countdown to Extinction is probably my favorite album uh, from them. So it's kind of right in the middle of their their power three. Um, so I, I I have a great appreciation for this band. I think for me, why this one probably holds so much prominence for me is it was the first one I bought, and the second one because the I think the Outside of a couple like singles I'd heard by Megadeth, the first actual track I'd listened to them was I Thought I Knew It All. And it was the track I knew when I bought this album. It was like the third album or fourth album I ever bought. And then I shortly followed it up with Rust in Peace. And I've been a fan ever since. So, well, As good as these three albums were, I would say the next couple were that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Cryptic writing is okay. Actually, no, no. It's got, like, She-Wolf and uh, one other good song on it. The rest of it's not yeah. that great. So I was had, thinking... I was thinking Trust on it, it, didn't it? Or was yeah, it I think Trust. trust. Yeah. I was um, thinking of Hidden Treasures. I like Hidden Treasures, but that's just the, the equivalent of Attack of the Killer Bees, where it just gets all their singles and soundtrack shit onto one album. Um, my first song I heard by Megadeth, which Ben knows this, is the when Goldberg came out to crush him for that short period of time and promotion for the Universal Soldier movie he was in in WCW. That was my first introduction to Megadeth. That is maybe one of their worst songs. <laughs> I, just I still like love that song. song because of it. Now I realize it's not that thrashy. It's very techy and industrial trying to mimic that, but it's off their worst album. 
All right, Buzz, what you got next? So I got two left. And I'm surprised this hasn't been mentioned yet, so I'll go ahead and jump into it. Um, so, I, I again, I'm doing this as, like, influential or, like, stuff that kind of matters a lot to me more so than their, their perhaps best album. However, for this one, I really feel it's a toss-up between this and the album that came after it. Um, I picked Metallica Master of Puppets. I really feel like this is the pinnacle of this band. Uh, between this and Justice for All, I feel is where you're going to find the strongest songwriting they've done. Um, I feel like it's the most energetic they've done between these two albums. And I always err on the side of Master being over uh, Justice simply because of, uh, of the songwriting. And honestly, I like Orion as, a, as, a, uh, as an instrumental over some of the other stuff that they've done. And, and it's not really a popular opinion, but I, I've always enjoyed that one. Um, also, being, a, being the literary geek I was, um, having a song about uh, the Cthulhu mythos in here is <laughs> kind of piqued, piqued my attention the first time I'd heard this one. And uh, this is probably, again, I was in middle school. Uh, my sister actually uh, introduced me to this album. She let me hear it on her vinyl. So I thought that was uh, stick with me through the rest of my life, and it has. Um, wasn't the Cthulhu song off of Ride the Lightning? There's one uh, on both of them. There's, there's, there's one on both. Um, in Off Ride Lighting is the Call of Cthulhu. Off this one, it's not Welcome Home. Um, so the thing that should not be. The thing should not be. It's about Haster the Unspeakable. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. This album made my top ten, too, for pretty much all the reasons you just said. Um, I will say I think the production on this album is better than And Justice for All, and that's part of the reason I prefer it over And Justice for All. It's just It just sounds better, you know? Uh, the songwriting on both are strong, but yeah, I, this Master of Puppets is, until I heard Rust in Peace, Master of Puppets was pretty much the perfect metal album, but then I heard Rust in Peace. <laughs> <laughs> um, me and Tracy did a review of this, and it, uh, that first side, the, those first five tracks on this album are, find another five tracks that are that good, that are back to back to back to back. I mean, Rust in Peace, yeah, but... And the thing that should not be is my favorite Metallica song. Well, a whole lot of these albums we've talked about tonight, you could say the first five tracks are like that. I mean, Slayer Seasons in the Abyss. The first yeah. Five tracks are yeah. Not me. yeah know, I, so. I, I, I struggled because I wanted to put I wanted to put Slayer on here in Pantera, but I was like, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. It was one of those, knowing what I was doing this list for, I'm like, uh, I can't in good conscience do that. But if we did a completely metal one, it would be different. Yeah. So I do not have Master of Puppets on my list. But it is probably my second favorite album by Metallica. I think my favorite song actually on that album is Welcome Home Sanitarium. I was going to say for me, it's uh, it's battery thing that should not be Master of Puppets and Orion. That's probably the ones I enjoyed the most. That and Leper Messiah. Yeah, Orion's probably my favorite. But yeah, all, all those songs are fantastic. Um, Tracy, what's your last one? My last one is Metallica Kill 'Em All, because this is the album that started it for me. It was the first metal album I ever bought. I bought Kill 'Em All specifically due to Sting coming out to Seek and Destroy while I listened to Wolfpack and the NWO. 
And <laughs> it's just like this album that started at all. And it's led to me where I am today. I mean, without Kill Em All, I would not be here. And I think the icing on the top of it all, top of it all was I took my real Christian seven-year-old grandmother and up the mall in Paducah. I was 12 at the time. And she bought me this at Hot Topic. Which for her was walking into Satan's asshole, which is an apt description for the place half the time. I mean, it's a classic. Um, great album. I can't say anything bad about it, really. Um, I do like Master Better, but Kill em All is really, really good. I, I do think it's funny that how much of Mustaine's writing is still on this album, though. I mean, The Four Horsemen is Mustaine's song with a different name. <laughs> I mean, it's this. I mean, from start to finish, this album is a. They're pure thrash on this album. And I really enjoy it. And there's not a slow spot at all in here. You could be in a pit to every single one of these songs on this album. It's just fantastic, fast, angry, and heavy. I enjoy the fact that they kind of paid homage to Motorhead because of that song Motor Breath on here. But that, other than that, um, I mean, Seek and Destroy, everyone knows it's an awesome song. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed Phantom Lord a lot. And I don't know why more people don't enjoy it. It might just be me, but that's kind of one of my favorites just because the way it ends, it's so cheesy. And I'm like, yeah, as 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 a young kid, when that when the first time I heard this, I was like, yeah, this is this is what I think of when I want to go to a metal concert. It's like, oh yeah, Satan worship, woo, because at the very part of the very end of that song, um, and I just it is. It's like you said, like Tracy said, it's a the entire thing is just nothing but thrash from start to finish. And it's I like listening to it before I get ready to go do something. Like uh, funny enough, I listen to it before I go cut the yard sometimes because I need that little bit of extra energy. So I'll just pop that into my my iTunes and uh, start cutting the lawn and do it, get it done quicker and much more efficiently because of it. But do you pull a kid rock and go behind the garage and fire one up? That's what everybody wants to know, Buzz. I, I, I do not because that would be illegal and I don't do illegal things. Um, yeah, I, I always love the riff and Four Horsemen and Jump in the Fire and Seek and Destroy. Those, those are some riffs. I I love this album, but I will say you could you could take this album and Diamond Head and tell me they were the same band and I would believe you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, oh yeah, I mean they were. When we did Diamond Head's podcast, I was like, this is the Diamond Head is the step from the the proto thrash metal band from Lightning to the Nations, which I gave that album a lot more credit than most people want to give it. Oh, that Diamond Head album's amazing. I love that album. It is amazing, and they're like, it's only the 250 best album of all time. Uh, speaking of, I was wrong. My cohort had heard that album, as David pointed out to me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I found that in a dollar bin of cassette tapes at Walmart one night, and I was like, oh, Diamond Head, you know? And, and I, I knew, you know, Am I Evil was a Diamond Head song, so I was like, cool, I want to check this out, and picked it up and listened to it, and I love that album. 
we I listened to it quite a few times. I was surprised Ben had never heard it. He probably has. He probably just forgot about it. It just fell into the the gap of time. The, the memory hole. I, I, I really don't think I did. I'm pretty sure that the only songs that I'd heard were the ones that Metallica had covered. Yeah, so when they did uh, Garage Days, Garage Days were revisited, and Garage Inc., I think that a lot of, well, I was, I was in middle school when that song, when the album came out. There's a lot of bands I didn't know about because I wasn't old enough to know about them at the time. So it kind of expanded my mind onto what else was out there as well. So, and they were all for the most for the most part. I'm not gonna say they were all good covers, but for the most part, they were all decent covers. I don't think there's any Metallica cover that I don't like. I mean, they've done so many that I would have to see a list, I guess. But the the ones that immediately jump to mind, there's nothing. Yeah, they're one of those bands that always does great covers. Uh, anthrax is another one i love all of anthrax's covers too yeah me too a lot of them better than the originals yeah true that all right buzz what you got next so this is my last one and my top one as i have said before um one of my favorite bands is the misfits and i i, I thought long and hard about doing this but i decided i was going to um i didn't pick so uh, as as those of us that know who the Misfits are, they didn't have a lot of what you would call albums. I think the only two they did was Walk Among Us and Earth AD, um, which I really enjoyed Earth AD. But I said, why stop there? Fuck it, because you know what? The box al- the box set is an album into itself. So I wrote the box set down. Um, I don't know if any of you, either of you have ever seen this before, but I've got it sitting right next to me right here. It's a, essentially a cardboard uh box shaped like a coffin um it's got fake laminate wood on it uh inside it's a it's a velvet lined interior so it feels like the inside of a coffin and there's four cds inside of it along with a little fiend club pen and this has pretty much everything they've ever done with the exception of in the doorway other than that every song they've ever done every found recording they had was on here now the reason i picked this and not a one one particular album is because this had all the albums on it and I felt like this is a way I could cheat and still fill my criteria. Um, so the reason I picked this one uh, is simply because again, I've already talked about the misfits uh, on my number four pick. This band means a lot to me, man. Um, I really love Glenn's voice. This is, you hear him now on his older stuff and you think, man, how could this guy that's got this like, angelic deep voice like screech out to a punk band well fucking listen to misfits and there you go um everything on here is amazing i don't dislike any of the stuff um i do like some of the songs better than others but the entire album i never get tired of listening to so there we go that's my uh that's my top pick i'm pretty sure david and i both have that box set but uh yeah the box set is on my shelf um i i yeah, I love this too. The this CD or, or this whole collection. It, I'm not as much into the Earth AD stuff where when they tried to get into the hardcore, I guess. But but yeah, uh, this this stuff is amazing. It's worth it for Hollywood Babylon and London Dungeon alone, and all the other classic good tracks too. But yeah, uh, if you're going to cheat and go with a box set, this is probably the one to go with. 
also this is uh there's two songs on here um david you were talking about this earlier with about glenn on piano there's two songs on here where uh where he's on piano it's just him and jerry and the drummer at the time so it was always interesting to kind of hear that yeah like i said i i i think i enjoy those piano versions of those songs better than the the ones with the guitar It kind of uh, kind of makes me wonder if you've ever heard his um, his uh, albums, the Black Aria and the Black Aria Two. Like, if he can compose all this, man, what could he have done if he was like, you know what, I'm gonna go away from the punk and metal side of things and do more a contemporary sound and keep all my lyrics. I loved Black Aria, um, Black Aria Two. I didn't care as much for, um, but I don't know if you know this or not. He's getting ready to release an album of Elvis covers, which I think he's wanted to do since probably before the first Misfits album. I had heard that. Um, not too long ago, he did that. He did that covers album where it was him and the, it was him and the Skullface, Skullface yeah. uh, makeup, and you know everyone is, everyone associates Michael Graves with that because he did do it more often. But there was at least one live show where Glenn did it and was the basis for the Legacy of Brutality uh, uh, cover where he's dressed up like a skeleton singing into a mic. Um, that show is the basis for that. So it was just cool to see him like do this as an older guy and still retain that same level of, of anger and aggression. He's done it several times over the years. I mean, I don't know how much he did it back during the Misfits initial run, but between then and now, he's done it at least a handful of times because I've seen footage of it. Yeah, um, influential to me a lot, man. Um, I've always just been into this band. Um, Image-wise, I loved them. Lyrically, they're they're not. If you're looking for like mature lyrics, they're not going to be there. But I even like the more esoteric things, like "We Are 138." You ask anyone what that song is about, and you're going to get like 20 different answers. And I kind of feel like Glenn doesn't even know what it's about. He always says it's about violence, but there's nothing specifically like alluding to it. It's just a fucking fun, fun song to mash, mosh to. Um, I distinctly remember uh, last time he was in Nashville back in 2014. Uh, on his solo stuff, he had Doyle come out and they did like a 45-minute Misfits set of him like just blurring through all of his older songs. And I remember when he did Skulls, like it got so crazy um, in the pit. Like I remember like accidentally elbowing some kid in the face and I, I broke his tooth and I felt really bad about it, but he was like happy that it happened. So I just, it's little stuff like that that makes me enjoy this band. Looks like I need to dig into the submissions even more. If, uh, if you're more into metal men, um, earth AD, it's, it kind of touches on the metal side. Like it's less punk and more, it's, it's almost thrashing away. Um, I would not, almost fight, but it kind of touches on it. I would almost say that if you're more into the metal that you would probably like, I, I know you pronounced it correctly for the culture, but they always pronounce it Samhain um, more than you might like the Misfit stuff. Because that's that bridge that he did in between the Misfits and his own band, but it is more metalish than even the first couple of dancing albums. Alrighty. It was. I, I'd almost. I'd almost say that uh, Samhain was, um, to me, almost more death rock uh, rather than straight metal. Like there, there's parts of it there. At least in the first album, um, Inidium was a uh, 
uh, to me that bridge of uh, we're kind of getting away from punk and going into this one but by the time uh, november rain or rain, uh, november fire comes out november coming fire excuse me um it's that to me is when it hits like that to me was the pinnacle of that band and i was very sad to you know not get any more from that group because that i almost would have wished you had gone that direction instead of going with danzig and sometimes all right david the last one is yours Yep, i think i've got the only one with an album left um my last album is in saint clown posse's great malenko <laughs> oh no for some joking no no he's not <laughs> i love oh. this album i really do this album was such a great mix of of rap rock and humor and every time you listen to the album you're hearing something new because of the production on it there's so many little little nuances and kind of background sounds and stuff there's like sound effects that match the lyrics in the background and stuff so you can listen to it over and over and hear something new every time i yeah i love this cd it is by far their best um i don't consider myself a juggalo I, I was there for a little while because when this album came out it was just so fucking good it overtook everything you know and then i can remember all of us going and back and, and trying to find the their previous albums the other jokers cards uh, to, to listen to those uh, they've become a joke since then uh, yeah but you don't That's, sell that many albums and it not be a, a fucking good album that's that's one of the things I will say is because I saw them live after this album came out in like 96 and the difference in the crowd then and the crowd that they're drawing now was night and day because back then everybody who came in came through the front door was wearing a misfit shirt or a Marilyn Manson shirt and and everybody just looked like normal people that you would see at a punk show and now I mean look at the people that are going to their shows now it's just it's ridiculous, yeah. and they and they're and they're they're giving the band a band bad name because they're such idiots. Oh, I I had my very in depth run in with uh, ICP for a while there when I was late teens, early twenties, and I remember working at McDonald's and we would sit there throughout the shift and just go through albums of ICP and just rapping it. The whole grill crew would be sitting there like piggy pie and. I feel like there's still several songs by by them that I can go off on a limb and just remember. I have no word for word just from how much I listened to them when I was younger. And sorry for the laughing. I just that was so far out of left field. I was not expecting it at all. Oh. Yeah, I, I was pretty sure this one wasn't going to show up on anybody's list. We we saved the last but, album for best. I, I think but, the best album for best. Yeah. I, 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 I love this album so much. So full disclosure, I I, I make fun of ICP. Um, I used to have all six Joker's cards, and that was when I was going through my weird phase of like different kinds of music. And I will admit that if we're going to talk just strictly ICP and not any not going into my genres of how I how I rate normal music, if we're just talking about the style. Malenko's probably the best, although I do like Riddlebox a lot, too. Yeah, Riddlebox is good, too. I mean, all of those. Uh, uh, what was the one that came out right after Malenko? What was the next one? Uh, Amazing Jekyll Brothers, I think. Yeah. yeah. That was the next uh, 
that was the next Joker's card. What was yeah. the because they always did an EP. Oh yeah, did AP. Was a uh, was bizarre, bizarre bizarre. Yeah, right there, yeah. or was no, it after Jekyll was Brothers? After Jekyll Brothers. Uh... Which I bizarre bizarre. I liked better than Jekyll Brothers personally. Well, I was talking about the next full album. I wasn't talking about the EP. I thought that that was a step down, but great Malenko and and Riddle Box and yeah, I mean we were all super fans of that back then. The, like, the, um, the one thing I will say is those albums are all produced by Mikey Clark and all of their stuff that they've done without Mikey Clark is not good. <laughs> so that shows how much the producer plays a factor in stuff. Probably filtering stuff him. out to a degree. I know me and uh, a couple friends got real deep in ICP in the early 2000s. And I think Wraith of Shanger Law, I probably listened to on repeat for like a month straight. And then you have the Hell's Pit. Yeah, those those were actually the first couple of albums I didn't really enjoy by them. I kind of feel like they were they were just trying to rush to finish the their little mythos that they created about the uh, Dark Carnival and everything. So that's just that's just my personal observation on it. And then they're like, we believe in Jesus at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like what? I remember there was so many people pissed off about it, and I was like, "Well, I I, I could see that. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna say well, one I mean, word the other about them, but that's. I, I mean, I, the I, Im- I I personally thought the imagery was pretty obvious throughout the whole. Yeah, I did run. too. I mean, they had the on Great Malenko, like the closing track is about going to heaven. <laughs> I mean, for fuck's sake! After you've been <laughs> shot in the eye and the bullet goes out your ass, yes, I right, 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 right. <laughs> An important yeah. detail. I mean, they they were doing it in their own weird way, but. <laughs> now I will give them some credit though. They do find some decent guys. Like uh, Boondocks was one of the guys they picked they up. They had a great eye for talent. They sure did. Some of the weather guys that they picked up out of like Missouri, and he's fucking phenomenal. Um, Man, I'm about to go on a juggalo kick. I mean... Oh yeah. I mean, you didn't grow up. And be alive in the late 90s, mid to early 2000s, and not know who ICP was because they were fucking everywhere. I'm actually, I'm not surprised that this album was on David's list. I'm almost surprised that an Esham album wasn't. An Esham album? Man, Esham's Booming Words from Hell would be, it, it'd probably make my top 20 for sure. Yeah. But yeah, because that, man, that, that album was great. And and start pretty much started the whole horror rap thing. That or that or uh, Ghetto Boys would have been the beginning of horror rap. All right. Well, we've got everybody's list. Buzz got a few extra tracks because he actually opted to uh, replace tracks that he had in common with somebody. Contingency um, <laughs> plans always work out. Um, I'm not going to do that because it would be like six albums. Uh, I was say yeah. As far as an honorable <laughs> mention, Clutch's or you Blast just- Tyrant. Or just be like yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, just go so deep into the weeds on one genre, nobody ever has anything you have. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> but uh, this was incredibly long. This will be like the longest podcast I've ever released at two hours and thirty something minutes. It'll probably be a little <laughs> bit shorter by the time I edit it. But thank everybody for sticking around. Tell us what your top ten albums of all time are. No genre, because I mean, I think we proved here that you can like 
all kinds of different stuff. And even if you're like Tracy and are, are kind of all playing out of the same ball field, that's cool too, man. But just let us know what you listen to. I've kind of found a song that everybody needs to go check out that kind of mixes the metal country vibe. And James Hatfield did a cover of this all a bit's gone out, done got out of hand, if anybody wants to go check it out. Yeah, because again, Metallica does great covers. Actually, the one that I would say is the one that him and John Popper and Pepper Keenan did of Tuesday's Gone. And that was, uh, Jerry Cantrell was on that too. And that is fucking a fantastic cover. But let's all sign off. Um, from all of us to all of you, just keep listening to the music. If you want to hear us ruminate about country music, come listen to me and David on the Whiskey and Wool podcast. If you want to hear us talk about punk and goth and Celtic punk and all such sundry things, come and listen to me and Buzz on Static Rage. And if you want to listen to the most metal, come and listen to me and Tracy on Thunderdome Metal Reviews. We appreciate the support. Thanks for staying with us and sticking around for a bunch of dudes talking about their favorite albums. Later. <laughs>